Hello and welcome to episode number 93 of the Wise Guys Podcast. I'm John Tortorelli, Brand Capazello, Justin Wright, and today, Romain Davis to discuss our NBA awards, our NBA first round playoff predictions, and much more. Your boy woke up 30 minutes late today, but you know what, guys? We have so much to cover. I'm pretty excited to jump into it. How you feeling? Uh, I'm, I'm basking in, you know what? Time out. Anybody that watched the last episode knows that when we were talking about the play-in, I was so close to rolling with Atlanta. So close. But the only reason I changed my pick was I just was going to be nice to Brandon. I was just, I, I just wanted to be on his side for once, for once. And I wish I didn't change my pick. Atlanta got the job done. What did I tell you, man? I told you it's the playoffs. Anything can happen. You've been telling me that all year. And it came back on you. First yeah, we just suck though. Not a playoff game. <laughs> not a playoff game. Okay, playoffs. I, I are, playoffs are a series. This is a one-game elimination. It's more like ba- football than basketball. So let's just get that out of the way. Whatever. Good job to Atlanta. They got the job done. They wanted it more. They out hustled us. They have more energy. They definitely destroyed us on the goddamn boards. And uh, that's it. Let's get into something else because I don't. I don't want to be depressed. <laughs> hey man, all I'm saying is if Josh Giddy's dropping thirty point triple doubles in these games, I'm gonna count this as a playoff game just to push the agenda. Yeah. Shout out to Kyle Lowry though. Shout out to Kyle and was on one. I would not <laughs> be surprised. Kyle. I would not be surprised if he was if he was drug tested the next day. Shout out to Clint Capella. If he played like this earlier, you wouldn't be in this fucking position. Fuck Kyle. <laughs> NBA awards. We're going to start off with NBA MVP for the 2022-23 season. Who would like to begin? Oh, this is an interesting one. What award uh, are we starting with? What happened? What award MVP. are we starting with? MVP. I kind of feel, you know what, John? I want John to go first. I got this shit pretty locked up, I'm not going to lie. I really don't even have to think about it. So there are three players that are in the running for the NBA MVP. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, and Nikola Jokic. So, by the counting stats this year, Embiid, 33 points per game, led the league, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, 2.7 stocks, on 65% true shooting. Jokic, 24 points per game, 12 rebounds, 1.5 stocks, and a tick under, just a shade under 10 assists, 70% true shooting, the most efficient volume scoring season in NBA history. Giannis Antetokounmpo had himself a little bit less points. I think it was 28, 12 rebounds, and 6. 31. 31 31. 31. High, career high, career high. But only 1.6 stocks per game on 60% true shooting. My NBA MVP would still be, though, Nikola Jokic. And there's a lot of talk about how Embiid this year, he only played 100 less minutes. He stayed healthy. He had a better defensive season. He had, by far, a better two-way season. But the Nuggets were a better team this year. And Jokic, without a bench, with the Nuggets, 252 wins. When I look at the Nuggets team, Jokic is the easiest star to play with, I think, in the NBA. Outside of maybe Steph Curry, but even then, I don't think there's a star that races his team's floor more, and there's not a star that's more vital to his team. To me, it's hard for me to make you MVP when your team has a winning record without you. The Bucks this year won 11 games without Giannis. The Sixers were 8-5 and five without Embiid. The Nuggets were one of the worst teams in the league without Jokic. And defensively, I've said this multiple times, because of how great a passer he is, he enables your best defenders to be on the floor with him. That's the versatility of having a seven-footer being the best playmaker on the floor at almost all times. 
I think the efficiency by Jokic being the most efficient player for 24 points per game with the second best offense coinciding with the fact you can talk about his defense as much as you want, but the Nuggets were above average. They had the best clutch defense in the NBA. Two years ago, it was Joel Embiid's award. Now, he didn't win because of myths. This year, I felt like this is the second straight season. It was truly Jokic's, but my prediction is that Joel Embiid will win because this is media-driven, and the media wants Joel Embiid to finally get that award, and I'm fully okay with that because Joel is deserving still. Yeah, I mean, I... I... I agree with that last point. The media is definitely wants uh, Joel Embiid to go. Uh, but John, I just one question for you because about I think two weeks ago, three weeks ago, you had Giannis. It was me and you were on the episode alone. You had Giannis as the MVP. So in that stretch, I feel like Jokic probably had his worst stretch of the season yeah. since then. So what changed for you? I went to the numbers, Bryn, and Giannis just not being able to make a single jump shot this year really did hurt his case. I mean, can we at least get the 30% from the three-point line or at like 65 high 60s at the foul line? I'm worried in the playoffs that could be the Bucks' kryptonite. The fact Giannis cannot make a shot outside five feet. And because of that, his efficiency, 60% true shooting, that's 10% lower than Jokic. Okay, I got you. Um, does anybody else want to go first or, or go next? I'll or? go, for, I'll go okay, first. Right, go ahead, Romain. Fucking bead. <laughs> I don't know what the only thing that I understand the 32 points per game, most points per game from a center since I think not even that. I think it's more than Moses Malone. So more, most points since Wilt, Wilt as a center or Kareem, one of the two. My whole problem behind him winning it is the simple fact that that doesn't make this a historical season as well as a historical, more historically significant than the other two. And every single reason behind him winning MVP from any single media member you ask. It's not about him being better than the other two. It's about him, oh, it's his turn now. He deserves it now, which is so dumb. For, and from every single shot he's taken at Jokic the year for about talking about stat padding or talking about why he shouldn't have expectations because he doesn't have MVPs or talking about why he doesn't care about or shit like that is the shit that pisses me off because I'm like, one, this just screams six or second round exit again. And two... When you look at the numbers, it's so. When you look at the numbers, all the historical implications before this, it's so clear. Giannis, it hurts. Every single outside of Westbrook and Jokic, every almost every single MVP in the past like twenty years have had some type of winning bias. D Rose won it because he won what five more games in the Heat that year, even yep. though he had significantly less stats. Well, not significant, but way, way a little bit lower than Braun. But he won like five more games and he won it. Um. When you look at the statistical impact, it's not much different than is it's not different than Jokic or Embiid, because I mean Jok yeah because he's having 30, 30, 10, and five on fifty percent shooting, the first player to ever do that. And three, it's not even the if you want to spin narratives here, only one of these guys have been without their second best player for this long. And if you want to say the Bucks are 11 and 4, 11 and 5 without Giannis and talking about how good they are without him, be my guess if we're, if this is the whole your team is better without you contest when this was never a conversation other than this one time other than last year with Jokic and that's just because of how insanely like he was dominating every single advanced stats field it's not even funny. So I can't really give it to Embiid when I know that the only reason you're winning it right now is because, one, they don't want to give Jokic three in a row, especially because that dumbass boogie argument I heard the other day 
And two... His takes are trash. <laughs> oh, very. And two, it just feels like you're just throwing it. It, it literally just feels like a, here, damn, since you complain about it here, I'm like, here, take it. Like, it just doesn't feel, it just doesn't feel right to give it to him. But I'm going to let him have it. And it feels bad because I feel like I'm saying it, he it, he doesn't deserve it because he is deserving. But nobody actually talks about his actual argument for winning the award. Yeah. Everybody's just talking about the reasons why, like, they don't want to give it to the other people. Yeah. No, I, 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 I see exactly where you're coming from. Uh, the Listen, the consensus, I think the voting is all Embiid, basically. There's a couple Giannis's, and then I think there's, like, two people voting for Jokic. So it looks like Embiid's going to get the award. Um, and, and like you said, all three guys are are deserving. There, there's no like real wrong answer here. It's more just based on opinion and what what really attracts to you more, right? So, John, it's Jokic, Romain, it's Giannis, uh, and we're about to find out from uh, Mr. Justin Ray here. So, Justin, here's what you got. Who's your MVP? No, honestly, I, I think it's like like Brandon said, you hit the nail on the head when each player is deserving. I mean, I spoke the other day highly about Giannis and how we've just become accustomed to how much of a freak he is on the court. So you could give this guy an MVP every year. Same with Jokic. The guy averages damn near a triple-double all the time. But, yeah, I'm kind of with the MB train. Uh, I'm rolling with him. And I know Philadelphia kind of gets a lot of uh, flack. I mean, Romain already threw shade at their postseason failures already before we even started talking about any playoff matchup. But – I think Embiid has had a historical season. And while you guys seem to be downplaying and not Brandon about him averaging 30 plus points per game at the center spot, that's, that's historical. He won up himself from last year. The guy had a better year and there's not much getting better from what he did last year. And yet he did. <clears throat> so I think you got to give the guy credit where credit is due. Philadelphia has a better record. I, I get it by one game over the Denver Nuggets. I'm going to give him the edge over Jokic. That Jokic stretch where Denver was losing plenty of games, losing to the Knicks and the Nets back-to-back, and then just going on that poor stretch really, I guess, put a damper on his MVP uh, ranking. But I think Embiid has had a fantastic season. And you know what, Romain? I got news for you, bro. I don't think this Philadelphia team is just going to be walked over in the playoffs. They play Boston the second round. You have that much faith in them? Yeah, I do. This oh, new Philadelphia team. How much money you want to put on that? <laughs> I am a betting man, so we'll talk later. On oh, God. Well, they both got to get there first. Um, so all three of you guys are, 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 you know, picking one each of the three guys. So I guess it's up to Mr. Brandon Cavazello to break the tie, right? So here's what I'll say. Like I said, all three are very deserving. And every single one of them in their own right is having a historical season. For me, it's been, listen, can you knock Jokic for the last two and a half, three weeks of the season? Sure. But for me, if you have been going basically since January on that Jokic is your MVP and the last three weeks of the season affects your opinion, I feel like you're kind of got the, the game twisted. It, it Three weeks shouldn't dis- – it, it's not – just the three weeks at the end of the season, it's the entire season you're supposed to look at. So you're supposed to look at the first part, second part, third, fourth, however many parts there are. So for me, it's been Jokic since January, and I'm still going with Jokic. I've not wavered. 
Yakola Jokic is damn near averaging a goddamn triple double. And you want to talk Giannis got 31 points. You want to talk MB got 33 points. Guys, both of those guys are shooting five more shots than Jokic. And Jokic has just got six or seven points, give or take, less than them. We all know if Jokic had more shots, 20 shots a game, he'd be getting 29, 30 points a game. All right, He focused more on being a playmaker this season. And also, you can't deny, I know John loves the true shooting percentage. I'm not a big fan of it. I think it's way too analytical, and I don't like how they get to that stat. It's not, if it was just taking the field goal percentage, three-point percentage, and free throw percentage, and finding the average and the mean for that, I'd be cool with that. But then they add in this, this uh, whatever the hell else that I tried to understand, I'm I'm, I'm just not for it. I, it I don't like it. Th- it values the three a little bit more. I, I don't like it at all. So what I'm going to give you is, Jokic is 63% from the field, 38% from three, and 82% from the free throw line. Listen, Embiid's got a little better free throw percentage, but three-point and field goal ain't even close. So, and number one team in the West, third team overall, or wait, no. Fourth. Fourth team, yeah, because they, okay, the last game. Fourth team overall, so top four seed in the entire NBA. I'm going Jokic, three-peating as MVP. And we'll get into the playoffs and, and how maybe that impacts uh, his legacy, in my opinion, if if things don't go the way that, that I think the Denver Nuggets think that they should. But that's another discussion for another day. For right now, Nikola Jokic is my MVP. And I don't like how the last three weeks have impacted a lot of voters because you've seen it on, I, I think it's the ESPN voting thing or whatever the hell. A lot of them changed from Jokic to Embiid in the last three weeks. Because of that 52-point game from Embiid, forgetting the context, hell of a game, no Jalen Brown, no Robert Williams. I'm sorry, he's not getting 52 points if both those guys are playing. And they almost choked and let him get back. And they almost choked the game. They almost choked the game. So, for me, the last three weeks can't impact your decision because then you're just being way too recency biased, and it's not a recency bias award. It's in the entire season. Nicole Jokic is my MVP. Rookie of the year. This is a award that at phase value, it seems like it's quite clearly Paolo Boncaro, but we did have some guys in the background during the season. Jalen Williams, who laid up a dud last night in his playing debut, but also Walker Kessler, who was an elite rim protector this year. Who do I want to start with here? Romain, who was your rookie of the year? For rookie of the year, it has to, it has to be over... Again, just like MVP, it sounds good. It has to be over the totality of the entire season. Walker Kessler, in the beginning of the season, was coming off the bench, and Utah was bringing him along, developing him. And then around, I think, this after the All-Star break, he, um, they stopped caring about making the playoffs because they realized they're a lower seed. Says, so you know, let's go get our pick, and they just threw everything against the wall. Started sitting Laurie, traded um Mike Conley, all of that. And really just started push and really just started really pushing the development of these young guys. And Walker Kessler obviously showed out in that time. I think he's averaging close to like two and a half or three blocks in that span of time, which is crazy. But um I have to go Paolo. I can't Paolo's just been doing the entire season. J dub has is second in my race because of not even the second half of the season, since January, since New Year's, he's been insane. Like, I'm talking about close to 20 points per game, four rebounds, I think, like, three or four assists, great defense, shooting 40% from three. Like, genuinely, he's an older rookie, but genuinely, he's been dominating. Um, 
Keegan Murray was pretty pretty good this year for the Kings, but I just don't think he's on the same level of impact as the other two. Um, Jaden Ivey obviously was pretty good this year again, but Detroit sucks, so you don't really hear too much noise about him. You have another guy on there in Jalen Duran, but Detroit's stupid and got James Wiseman and kind of pushed him in the background for some reason. Um, but I think Matherin, if he he started the year crazy, and he, if he even kept up even a semblance of that, he would be up there too. But I think he's like, I think he fell off a little bit. I think he hit the rookie wall a little bit earlier than he was supposed to because he came out firing. And I, I say what anybody wants to say about him. Jabari, in my opinion, had a really good, successful rookie year, especially for being on that OKC team. But yeah, I gotta go, Paolo. He's been doing it way too. He's been doing it for uh, continuously the entire year. And that second half of the season for them, not even that. After the first like 10, 15 games of the season, the Magic has been basically a p- playoff team since then. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Listen. I think we're all going to be in agreement, so I'm not going to, you know, belabor the point. I, it, it's Paulo Bencaro. Um, it's a Bencaro, 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 Bencaro. You got it. Okay, okay. I just wanted to, you know, I want to make sure I've heard it both ways. Uh, listen, he he just got over, tw- uh, not over, but he just got to 20 points per game. Uh, anytime a rookie averages 20 points per game, I think a lot of people just take notice on it because it is a sign of okay, this guy, you know, found a way to score big time on the biggest level uh, in the NBA. One guy I do want to give a shout out and uh, Romain mentioned him, uh, Keegan Murray. I've been uh, pretty impressed. I I know he's like the fourth or fifth option on the Kings, but correct me if I'm wrong. He, he, he broke the record for most three pointers made in a rookie season. I think Uh, he's averaging like 40% and made over. He's averaging, yeah, 41% from three right now, 45% from the field. I like the kid. So, and I always like when a when a, a guy can contribute towards winning. I know Paulo is the main guy on the Magic, so that's why he's going to get the award, even though the wins are not there. Uh, but I just wanted to give a little shout out to Keegan Murray. The wins aren't there, but he he made an immediate impact right away. I think we're all going to agree that Paulo is the Rookie of the Year. I think the guy was averaging thirty four minutes a game, so he had plenty of time, plenty of games to develop, twenty points per game. Well, close to seven boards. Uh, the guy made an instant impact, and that's what you want for a number one pick. When you draft in the top five, you're hoping to get somebody that's going to impact your team right away, and the Magic got that. So it's it's a bright future ahead of them. I'm not going to keep on harping on it because I think we're all going to agree with each other. Paulo this year, 19 to 20, was getting fouled on almost 20% of his, shoot, his shooting attempts. So he was getting to the foul line like a grown man. He came too... in with a superstar whistle. Yeah, well, he was getting fouled a lot because Paolo, to me, was the number one guy on my big board. And his level of power, agility, and just grown man strength, you mix that in with shooting, but the shooting wasn't dropping for him this year. 28% from three-point, mid-30s and mid-range. In time, that's going to develop. But he was tasked with Mission Impossible as a rookie, which was an Orlando offense that had no shooting, being the focal point, and dealing with double teams, passing out. He gets nearly forced as a game. He was my rookie of the year. But I do think Walker Kessler is number two for me because his rim protection this year was flat-out elite. And you can make the case he had a better season than Rudy Gobert because offensively, he played a pretty big role in Utah being one of the better offenses, really good rebounder offensively, has good hands, but defensively, opponent shot 8% worse at the rim when he was on the floor. And then he paired that up with two and a half blocks per game 
no rookie, and this is including Keegan Murray's three-point shooting, had a more elite skill, I think, than Kessler. Number three for me, though, will be Jalen Williams. 18 points per game, five rebounds in the last 25. And then we'll give a shout-out to Keegan Murray, but Paolo, for me, is also the rookie of the year. Now, Defensive Player of the Year is a funny award because it's always hard to evaluate defense. We often look at blocks per game, but I kind of have my own criteria sometimes. Minutes played is a huge part, and that's why Jaron Jackson's not Defensive Player of the Year to me. So he got up to a good amount of games, but only 1,700 minutes in the season, whereas Brooke Lopez played nearly every game and played over 2,200. And that's why Brooke Lopez is my Defensive Player of the Year. Without Giannis this year, the Bucks were still an elite defense. And that was because on that side of the ball, Brooks rim protection and ability to play higher up on ball screens to really take away two on ones and pick and roll helped that Bucks defense take the responsibility off of Giannis. And while we often praise Drew Holiday, in the regular season, he has not taken on this huge responsibility defensively. That's more in the playoffs. And I truly think Brooke Lopez this year was the reason why. The Bucks were so elite defensively, even without their superstar. And to me, that's why I have him above Jaron Jackson. I have Evan Mobley as my defensive player of the year this season. Um, I would, I, you would have swayed me earlier this season with Jaron Jackson Jr. because the fouls were down. The defensive impact was insane. He was playing a really good amount of minutes. It fell off in the second half, especially since they lost Stephen Adams. He's been a little bit more aggressive on the defensive end, and those fouls went right back up, which is also another Achilles heel going to the playoffs, which is going to be a problem, especially against the damn Lakers. You're probably going to be fouled out by the damn second quarter. So um, I I understand the Brook Lopez pick, but I just look at what Evan Mobley's been able to do. I just watched, I just, I was watching some film because I posted a Cleveland video the other day. And there's a reason why they're the number one defense in the league. Like, it's absolutely insane with this guy. I, in his second season, I'm talking about it's BAM, it's BAM, it's BAM level switching at the top when guarding guards forwards and his 80 level room protection as a back line. And then when you talk about help, defense, and communication, it's absolutely insane. So I understand why you want to pick Brooke. I think Brooke is probably. The second best drop center we've had in the past five years outside of Rudy with what he's been able to do this season. But I look at it in just what you're it, being able to get that Cleveland team, the number one defense, when the only other real competent defender you have behind you is either Isaac Okoro or Jared Allen. Jared Allen's missed a lot of time this year versus Brooke Lopez when you have um, Drew Holiday at the point of attack. Giannis right next to you. <laughs> like, um, you have Javon Carter coming off the bench. Like, Jay Crowder starting at the three right now for it. Like, it's... You have a lot of defensive help, help that makes his job a lot easier versus Evan Mobley. That his job isn't that much easier, yet he's having, if not better, impact on that end. I love that pick. That's a phenomenal selection. <laughs> he was you know, I, I, I'm going to roll with you, John, and I'm going to go with Brooke Lopez. I think... I must have been in fifth or sixth grade when Brooke Lopez got drafted and, and came into the NBA playing with the New Jersey Nets. And I remember being absolutely stoked because I just loved every team back then. I used to go to the IZOD Center and see the New Jersey Nets play. Now I can't stand the Nets, but that was back in the day. But Brooke Lopez had always been a stud offensively, was never really looked at as a 
you know, monster on the defensive end. He was good, I guess, you know, straight defense. He wasn't as mobile or aggressive, but he completely has transformed his game from the guy that we used to see with the Nets to a guy that can knock down the three and score in the paint. And he's no longer just that straight-up defender. He's mobile. He's aggressive. I think he had a career high in block shots this year. I think you got to give credit where credit is due. I think Brooke really deserves this award. He's an absolute stud, class of a man, and also one of the more favorite personalities in the NBA. And looking back into last year, and I saw a stat on their defense last year, I think they were 14th in defensive rating last season. And this year, now Brooke is healthy and back at it. They, they're in fourth. Yeah. So they jumped 10 spots. Yep. I think uh, your answer's right there. Brooke Lopez, defensive player of the year. Two and a half blocks. Whoever Ooh. did his back surgery needs Ooh. an award. Yeah. Yeah, big time. He's 35 doing this. Um, for me, I agree with John when he first started off that I think that defensive player of the year needs uh, a little more clarity on how to define it and how to rate it, really, because I know a lot of people look at blocks and steals, um, and then there's other people that look at the defensive rating go real into the nitty-gritty and in in, into the weeds. For me, it was Jaron Jackson Jr., but I'm going to switch it up, and I'm going to agree with Romaine. Uh, simply for this fact, best defensive team in the league, best defensive player on that team, Evan Mobley, is my uh, defensive player of the year. And he is the reason. This is not like Jason Tim's the MVP, could the Bucks or the Celtics win this? But no, he is the reason the Cavaliers are the number one defense because at 21 years old, there is not a thing you can pick at Evan Mobley's game. Maybe he's not... <laughs> and B-level post-defense, but as Romain said, his off-ball defense and his awareness is through the roof. And I think by next season, he will be a defensive player of the year because of how much of a unicorn he is. I think he has majority of the votes right now, doesn't he? I'm not sure. I didn't see the straw poll. Yeah, I haven't looked. But now we're going to go on to one of my favorites, Coach of the Year. My Ooh. Coach of the Year is Mike Brown. Now the Not even a competition. Coming so easy. <laughs> We're not a playoff team. They're not a playing team. They were a mid-low 31 team with the 25th, 26th ranked offense a year ago. This year, they broke the new record, which gets broken every year, by the way, in offensive rating with a 121. I often look at Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero. I'm like, damn, like, why are these guys not leading the heat to the playoffs when DeMontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox and that pick-and-roll, dribble-handoff duo absolutely lit the Western Conference that's on fire such, this season. Because De'Aaron so Fox true. is much better than Tyler Hero, John. Yes, Not even very that. True. The Kings have multiple people shooting 40% from three. And part of the reason for that is because Mike Brown has taken principles from Golden State, which the Kings in the past tried to apply with Luke Walton and Michael Malone. And then he also took principles from the Denver Nuggets offense with Michael Malone and some of those dribble handoffs, running your offense through your center and really playing through transition more. And now the Kings, with those two principles aligned, have had, got a career year of Kevin Herter, De'Aaron Fox, DeMontis Sabonis, Keegan Murray is a rookie of the year candidate, and even Harrison Barnes, the old man here, is playing a huge role as that fifth starter. I think Mike Brown is... Always on, he's always been one of the most underrated coaches as a former coach of the year. A guy that's led Cleveland to the finals with a top five defense alongside LeBron James. And so for him this year to build up that reputation even more by making this the best offense we've seen thus far, that is another tip in his cap. I'm happy to see him thriving in Sacramento because, look, in Golden State, Steph Curry never engineered an offense this damn good, and that included when they had Kevin Durant in offensive efficiency. 
And they're also first in points per game because of how much they've put defenses to the stress test in transition. I mean, the guy's phenomenal, and I think this right here has been his greatest achievement yet. So who is the really who is really the key back in Golden State? Because the moment Mike Brown leaves, he does this, and Steve Kerr falls off of a cliff. So, but right now, it, I don't think it's close. I really don't. There's, <laughs> I don't know who would be who would be second place. Mike Malone, uh, Mark Dagnall. I would say Mark Dagnall. The Thunder are about to make the playoffs, and I don't feel comfortable giving the Coach of the Year to somebody that has a team that's below five hundred. I understand the implication that OKC is the youngest team in the league and he got him to this point to the point where they're probably about to be the eighth seed. I just don't feel comfortable giving it to somebody that's below 500 versus a guy that when I, I looked at this Kings team and I saw them trade for Sabonis, I'm like, play in team at best. I had no idea at some point in the season they'd be the second seed and somehow get to the third seed. So... Everybody's in agreement here that uh, Mike Brown's their coach of the year. Yes, sir. Oh, interesting. Because I'm not in agreement. Oh, that's crazy. Um, wow. He's my number two guy. Um, if this is the most improved uh, coach of the year, okay, we can oh, give it to him. On. He's my number two. He's my number two. <laughs> my number one is Joe Missoula. Uh, do we forget the storyline and the drama he had to endure taking over this Boston Celtics team? Are they like not the number two seed in the East? The number two seed in the entire NBA? Yeah, but he inherited. They, he whoa, has two NBA guys on the roster. Whoa, whoa. If everything started to fall apart, who is getting the blame pointed at them? No, no, and I, I oh, completely no, I respect that. So then he had to hold, and, and time out, wait. Are they not the number two offense and number two defense in the entire league? Actually, are the, the the the? I'll give you the the Kings are the number one offense by a margin. How's their defense looking, guys? Okay, but there's when two you... sides of the court. Listen, I love Mike Brown. I like what he's doing with the Kings, and I love De'Aaron Fox. I don't. I can't say enough how much I love De'Aaron Fox and how he is showing people what he can really do. But this is not most improved. This is Coach of the Year. Fifty-seven wins. He's got more wins. You want to look at home and road uh, uh, records, both of them better than, uh, well, tied on the road, but at home much better than the Kings. I'm sorry, number two offense, number two defense. He had to take over from this drama that was ensuing with Ime Yudoka gone, and if he failed, everybody is pointing the finger at him. So because he succeeded, and now they, they're 57 wins, they're number two in the entire NBA, my coach of the year is Joe Mazzulla. No disrespect to Mike Brown. I think he is well-deserving, too. Both of these guys are well-deserving, but my my coach of the year is going to Joe Mazzulla. Look, I can't, I can't really stand behind that because you look at two years ago, Tom Thibodeau won it with the Knicks winning like 41 games, and that's only because they improved that much because people weren't expecting them to be that good. You have guys like um, Nick Nurse that won it when the Raptors lost more games than they won. They just well, kept it together a little bit the year before. They just kept it a little bit. Let me ask you a question. I don't have those guys in front of me right now, and we'd have to go through them for me to uh, analyze them better, but those are what they voted for. This is my list. This okay, is my coach of the year. That's so fair. But maybe I'm just I don't agree with those guys. This is like the Hall of I'm Fame. Just... I have discussion with a lot of people where people are like, well, Brandon, but this guy's in the Hall of Fame, so how can't you have this guy? Whoa, 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 whoa. That's their decision. You didn't ask me my opinion on that. So that's where I come back at you is maybe they are coach of the year for them 
For me, I'd have to go back and analyze them. For me, I'm just saying the reasoning is a little bit disingenuous. I'm just saying the reasoning is a little bit disingenuous. It's not. I mean, come I on. Credit. Yeah, I, understand, I understand the Joe Mazzulla pick, but in the sense of right now, you are stepping in a you're stepping on a team with a defensive player of the year candidate center, mm-hmm. two all NBA guys, a top mm-hmm. 10 player in the league. Mm-hmm. Your second option is having 27 points per game. It was, you have man. Malcolm, you your team is so deep. You have Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench. If, if, if you didn't win 45 games plus with that roster, then you were just a bad head. Can coach. I ask yeah, you a but question? people were expecting them to win. People were expecting them to win more this year. Can I That's ask you a thing. question, guys? Can I ask you a question? Because uh, I'm not, I don't know this off the top of my head. Greg Popovich has won coach of the year before. Yeah. Multiple times. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing he had an elite team too. Are we going to hold that against him? I've never hold it against them, but it's when your elite team performs that much better, that much better, or performs to that level. They perform to what they perform a little bit below what you expect them to. Because but, let's be real here: throughout the season, there are times when you look at Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and look at the way they were playing. You're like, you know, some of those problems last year are still there. Like, th- there's a reason why people don't see them as the overwhelming favorite over Milwaukee. And that's because uh-huh. you see still some of those problems there, even with better offensive players. So right now I'm looking at it. I'm just like, you still under. I'm expecting. I was expecting them to win 55 closer to 60 games this season. 52 is it. below the average of what they thought they would do. Oh no, question. oh no, 54. I think for for the three of you guys, how much worse did you guys think the Celtics were gonna get when Ime Udoka was gone? Oh, not at all. I didn't think they were gonna miss a beat. All right, John. I was confident they would be a 51 team. B. That's no, that doesn't thing. that 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 doesn't change my opinion. Where if he would have failed, the finger would have been pointed at him. So I ha- I'm giving him his credit still. Like, I, I he had to hold the shit sure together. That, I think that finger was immediately going to be pointed at Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown, even probably Marcus Smart being one of the players, no, one of the people no, getting no, the most blame before no, Joe Mazzulla. No, 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 no. Boston Celtics fans and the and the media in general would have pointed at Joe Mazzulla. They would not have blamed the players. Well, listen, I'm, I'm not using this to, to crap on Joe Mazzulla because you are right. What he did, that was a tough situation to walk into. And then playing in a big market like Boston, that's no easy task. He would be my number two. But I, I kind of think going away from Mike Brown here is a little crazy because, listen, man, breaking a 16-year yeah. postseason. Mike right. Brown saved the franchise. Yeah. I was, and, and not I only did he have had a really career if they didn't turn this thing around. But, uh, Mike Brown took – a bottom five offense and made that one of the greatest ever. And without him, it's tough to say that all this talent would have just figured itself out because he is the Kane 16th head coach. And none of the guys before him were able to get the culture turnarounds, the shift in energy, the offensive breakthrough, and also the accountability. In just one season, taking a franchise that was stuck in purgatory and making that a top 10 team. Whereas with Missoula, he inherited what was a 51 squad, and he made them better offensively. But Mike Brown legitimately saved the franchise and a fan base that was far more emotional than the Celtics in a sense of disappointment, dissatisfaction, yeah. and just... And I've never seen an entire league that wait, didn't wait, really wait. feel real. Wait, wait, John, John, yeah. John, the way you're talking is so sombering, and so, like, you're trying to victim me into picking Mike Brown. Listen... <laughs> Save the puppy dogs. Go cry in okay? Congo- I gave him his respect. I gave both. The- he's number two on my list. I said both guys are well-deserving of it. My choice is Joe Missoula. You're not going to bait me into playing victim and, and picking him, okay, with this 
Oh, he, he, he helped the fan base. Oh, the Sabbath, the 16 years. Oh, without my brown. I gave them both the respect. I, I gave my opinions and the reasons why Joe Mazzulla is my coach of the year. No disrespect to Mike Brown. So talking about some high energy, high vibes, Emmanuel quickly is the sixth man of the year. Him wow. and Malcolm Brogdon this Brogdon. year are averaging 14 points, close to 15, three and a half assists, and four rebounds. Now, Brogdon's doing it on a little bit better efficiency, 57% EFG. Actually, yeah, so quickly is at 53%. Energy is everything sixth man of the year. And I'm sorry, Malcolm Brogdon, for as great as he's been off the bench, Emmanuel quickly just brings a spark of energy in that second unit that makes the Knicks a playoff team. They've got a good starting lineup, but it's their bench that really takes them a step up. And with the Celtics, it's not Malcolm Brogdon, it's their starting lineup. Defensively this year, Emmanuel quickly has been one of the five to six best guards in the NBA, to the point I considered him for an all-defensive team. And with the energy he brings, the infectious joy, and the three-point shooting, his floater game is also elite. I gave him the slight edge, but I mean, this guy, since he's in New York, he's going to he's gonna blow Malcolm Brockton, I think, out the water here. I right. saw the straw bowl on um, Michael Brockton is taking this. It's actually split pretty down the middle between really? him and Michael Brockton. Yeah. It shouldn't be. Who do you got, Justin? Who do you think I got, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm repping New York. Oh, you're a New York guy. Yeah, I'm sorry, Romaine. You, you got me very pissed off when you said Malcolm Brogdon there while he was talking. I just, Brandon laughed because I, I rolled my eyes at the corner of the screen. Yeah, <laughs> let, me, let me read the final season totals before you guys even think about this. Brogdon, 1,000 points exactly, right? I think this is final season. or This was as April 10th. So as of April 10th, Brogdon had 1,000 points quickly. 1,209 rebounds, Brogdon 280, quickly 337, Brogdon in assists 248, quickly 279, Brogdon in steals 45, quickly 80, Brogdon in three points made 132, quickly 168 wins, Brogdon 46, quickly 47. I, I'm sorry, he's averaged more points. He's played 14 more games and is significantly a better defender than Malcolm Brogdon. Emmanuel quickly is the clear-cut sixth man of the year. When you look at that award, it's supposed to be a spark plug, somebody that gets in the game and immediately makes an impact. This guy has served as the perfect sixth man, and when Jalen Brunson went down, what did he do against Brogdon Celtics? lit them up in the TD Garden. He showed you that night, a month ago, that he deserved the award. There's no debate. It belongs in New York. Emmanuel quickly is the sixth man of the year. Book it. I, and, and if he doesn't get it, I'm gonna yo, I'm gonna lose my mind. Justin wants an award <laughs> in New York City, baby. He's like, I'm getting I, one of these awards. I think there's one thing you should be more mad about than the sixth man of the year if Julius Randle doesn't make an all NBA team, which it doesn't look like he will, which is nah, I'll be that's, fine that's as deserving. long as Jalen. Uh, he, he doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve that. Third team? Yes, he does. No, he among doesn't. forwards? Yes, he no. does. No. no, I'm sorry. Um listen, I'm I, I this one, uh, you guys, John and Justin make very compelling cases, right? I put Brogdon there because I've, I would say in all season and since he got signed, the, the Celtics last year, their main criticism was 
they didn't have a true point guard to set them up and they went out and they got that guy and Malcolm Brogdon was now I'm surprised he hasn't he wasn't implemented into the starting position but listen it's they they seem to know much more about basketball than me so they made the right decision right and Justin makes a, such a great point where what six what does the definition of six man of the year is really that that guy that comes off the bench I know he's got the spark plug the guy that's going to provide that energy the energizer bunny and when Brogdon comes in the game I guess you don't get that he's more he's white bread you know he he's he's very broccoli right because he doesn't have to quickly exactly right so you know what I go back and forth and and for this one I have Brogdon written down but. Oh, come on. Honestly, what you know what? Just to, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna switch, but I'm just gonna say I'm gonna ride the fence on this one and whichever one gets it gets it. I won't make a final decision because both guys are, are deserving in my the opinion. Knicks I know that's the, the weak way out, but assume me, all right. The Knicks are Brogdon's eight and a half points better when IQ is on the floor. Eight and a half yeah. points better. And defensively they're twelve points better when he's on the floor. I respect, respect. respect. I look, I understand I understand the on off numbers for Emmanuel quickly. We have to realize who he's coming up behind versus who, right? You have to realize he's coming in for all. Who's who's the Knicks two right now? Starting two, but yeah, he's you have to look at who he's coming up behind to become that spark plug versus Malcolm Brogdon here. Like Malcolm Brogdon is, I think Boston's one of the best first quarter teams in the NBA, right? So you have Malcolm Brogdon. You have Malcolm. Coming in behind a team that's probably already leading that game, and it's not—it's not the fact that they're dropping; it's the fact that he's keeping them steady to the point where they're going to keep that 10, 15 point lead that they got. He's not dropping off at any single point. When you talk about the production level this season, it's literally at the same, except Malcolm Brown may be a little bit more efficient this season, but it's the same level of production this season. And right now, there's there's a reason why IQ averages the, the amount of points he does right now is because um J- Jalen Brunson missed a quite amount of time. When he jumps in that starting lineup, he's different, like. When he gets in that starting lineup, he's aggressive. But I can't knock Malcolm Brown for not having that opportunity because Boston's been healthy this season. And he's played his role to the absolute T he had to this season. And he's one of the reasons why I think Boston is probably going to take is going to take the Eastern Conference. He's he's literally the reason why, when you come off that bench, that they're th- almost that unbeatable. Because there's literally not a single drop-off from production the moment Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown come out of the game to the next to the three minutes after that when they come back in. You can put him in for three, four minute stretches, and you're just like, how are we still gonna stop this offense? And I love I'm, I'm six, 67 games, way past what I thought he would play this season. I thought he's gonna be around the 50-55 range. 67 games of this type of production from Malcolm Brogdon is absolutely insane. And that's why they have him off the bench so he can not play 40 games. So uh, right now I understand the Emmanuel Emmanuel quickly pick, but I'm just looking at level of production, level of team that you, and the importance to your team that you. And I think Malcolm Brogdon is a little bit more important in making that Celtics team as unbeatable as they are than IQ. I mean, when we're talking level of importance, what makes Brogdon as more important than Emmanuel quickly to the Knicks? He's simply more important to his team. The Do you whole problem. The you whole so? problem. A large problem of Boston last no, season. A large problem oh. of Boston last season is that their 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 second their second guard off the bench was Peyton Pritchard, wasn't it? Yeah. There's a reason why when that bench there's a reason why when that when that bench came in. 
and that bench came in for Boston, there's a reason why there was a significant drop-off at certain times for the offense and the reason why Jalen, J- Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart were like logging in 38 to 40 minutes per game in the playoffs. Would you don't even want to play, especially in like the first or second round at the time? Right now, when you put Malcolm Brogdon in that situation, when you put Malcolm Brogdon in that position, right now you can toggle um Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's minutes to the point where now they're coming in and they're fresh legs throughout the rest of the game because they're getting significant rest to the point where you're looking at the offense, you're just like, hey, I don't got to worry. I don't got to worry about it right now. He got it. So your picks, so, Brogdon. I understand. Yeah, I understand. Manu quickly, the two-way level play from him this season also defensively has been great, but I can't. I, I can't look at how important Brogdon is to that team and the dynamic he changed for them and just like just say he's not six men of the year. Okay, fair enough. Well, I believe it'll be robbery yeah, if Emmanuel quickly doesn't win. I need my energy. Got a lot of energy. Got a lot of people trying to take me in this energy. Hey, man, I hate both, so I don't care. Hey, six guys. Uh, now, we're, we were going to do executive of the year, but I want to find a little twist. Not executive of the year. This is a tight race. So... I think, though, the ultimate winner would be um, Tim Connolly, who made probably the worst trade I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Trading five first-round picks for Rudy Gobert. <laughs> the players don't matter to me, to be honest with you, because Malik Beasley, uh, Jared Vanderbilt, Leandro Balmero, and Patrick Beverly, like, no, the fact that you to in the playoff Connor. rotation. Walker, but five first-round picks and Walker Kessler, who is a sudden right now, I would rather have Walker Kessler than Rudy Gobert. <laughs> and that's honestly taking the contracts out of it because offensively, Kessler is better. He's got better hands. He's more agile. He can pass a little bit. And defensively, he's younger, nine less years of miles. And that, to me, is what gives Tim Connolly the award. The runner-up, who would that be? <sighs> Give me comments. What do you guys got? Well, I, I was not prepared for this. Um, I threw you a curveball for a reason. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I have my executive of the year. Okay, that wasn't that funny. Give me your executive. I mean, for me, it's just, and I think, uh, I think I heard Ronaim, Romain, sorry, say, uh, say his name for non-executive, so he might be mad. But Rob Polinka, I think, deserves a round of applause for the trade, the moves he made at the trade deadline to really change this team. Listen, I told you guys, addition, addition by subtraction by getting rid of Russell Westbrook. I think it's been pretty clear that without Russell on that team, the Lakers are much better, much more energized, and feel like a cloud has kind of been lifted off of them. And then bringing in D'Lo, uh, Vanderbilt, uh, Malik Beasley, and I know he hasn't played much, but Mo Bamba too. I, I just think those are all moves that not all of them were super necessary, but they 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 were necessary in 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 different terms. So I I, I just gotta give it respect. Listen, he made the terrible move to get Russell Westbrook, but he finally uh, made up for it and, and got them a team. And now the Lakers are looking prime to possibly make a deep run. Right now, I, right now, you'd have to look at Rob Palenka's job if he didn't make this trade and be like, "Why are you even in the position that you are?" But he, he the Russell Westbrook thing is probably what? How long has he been the Lakers GM? Four years. The bubble. The Four bubble? years. Yeah, yeah. Before the bubble, yeah. He hasn't made too many bad decisions. He's the one that put that twenty twenty team together. He retooled twenty twenty one. The only reason that team didn't do well is simply because they had two months of rest before the season started again, and AD and Bron's body just couldn't keep up. Um, Yeah, you made the horrible move for Russ. And yeah, that this was season, the one move, yeah. This season, he had plenty of times to panic. He could have gotten Ky- – he could have pushed for getting Kyrie. He could have pushed for – he could have pushed for um earlier trades in, in the year. But no, he sat, he sat on it. That team 
after that 2-10 start, it was still around 500 before he made the trade. So he's like, you know what? They're climbing the standings a little bit. I'm going to wait until the perfect offer comes in. And Danny Ainge hit that phone. And he made – being able to get Jared Vanderbilt, D'Lo, and Mo Bamba for Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook, I can't sit there and just – I can't sit there and just look like, look at that like that's not some crazy freaking moves. Yeah. But um, for worst executive of the year, get Pat Riley the hell out of here. Get his senile ass out of the front office, please. I'm so I was tired. talking about last episode, bro. If Sleepy Pat, I don't care if it's disrespectful. Get his senile ass out of here. I no. can't take it anymore. No, no. If Rob Pelinka can get like that, that for Russell Westbrook, that. Pat you're telling me you can't, you can't even move Kyle Lowry for something even just a little bit better for this team. Get the yeah, hell out of my front office. There wasn't. Man. Listen, we don't know all the trades out there. Listen, they're probably going to make the trade in the off season because it's going to be an expiring contract. So. Listen, uh, and Pat Riley, I trust. I'm not gonna. I I can't go that far. That's that's too much. Does he deserve a little blame and and criticism? Yeah, hundred percent. But firing, I I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't say that. fire. I didn't say fire him. I, I look get, get him out of there. No, I don't get the senior house out the front office is a little bit too much. But if we're right, but if we're just talking about horrible seasons for an executive. The past two for this man has not well past one. I guess since he yeah. got PJ Tucker and that. I mean, he was trying. I mean, we we got to be honest though. He was trying to get Donovan Mitchell. The the Utah was just not biting on our deal, and they wanted to get a better deal. We know Danny Ainge is a is a merchant there. He's going to get the best offer he can, and and Pat wasn't willing to, you know. I mean, going times? above and beyond would have included Bam or Jimmy, and that's not going to happen. So it, it, he did that. the best he possibly could. I, I do want to make a point towards Polinka. You said he could have plunged for Kyrie. Listen, he would have plunged for Kyrie. They tried. If Brooklyn would have accepted the deal, Kyrie Irving would be a Los Angeles Laker. So let's not get too part of the much reason, credit. But part of the reason why I love that is because he didn't go. He didn't. He didn't budge for Brooklyn. He gave, He said, "This is what I'm willing to give up." They said, "Okay, we don't want that. For, we don't want yeah. that for Kyrie." And he was like, "Okay, then tough nubs. I'm gonna move on to somebody else." But he if he had the assets, he would have given up all the assets. But I'm pretty sure they were asking for more of the assets, and he just wasn't willing to give it for Kyrie. Well, which is well they didn't have good assets to give up, and they didn't want to give up. You can't give up Braun or AD, obviously. And yeah, you got Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie for for him. Those assets are much better than Austin Reeves and a couple of first round okay. picks. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. it's. I'm pretty sure they were just asking for probably a lot more, and he was like, "Nah," because I'm pretty sure they kept their one of their first round picks, right? Yeah, they're probably asking for both. Yeah, they wanted both first rounders. Yeah, and he said no. Yeah, well, we don't know about that for sure. That might have come upstairs from Genie really saying, "No, don't give up those picks." Yeah, to organize this the- a little, I threw you guys off. Executive okay. of the year, you just talked about Palinka. I think it's pretty clear though. Danny Ainge was on some shit this all season. <laughs> Hiring Will Hardy, who had one of the most impressive first seasons I've seen, he kept this team competitive when they were starting the likes of like Simeon Fontecchio. Respect him, shout out to him, and you know he helped save Chris Dunn's career. But you also made two of the best trades in recent years. You got an All Star for an All Star and Laurie Markin. And now he didn't expect that, but he got two first round picks down the line, an extra first, and a young rookie, and O'Shea Bash. He's twenty three, and then. You probably pulled off the biggest fleece since your original trade in 2013. And now you have a dozen first-round picks in the coming years and two building blocks in Laurie Markkinen and Walker Kessler. But more importantly, you have two building blocks with a really good head coach. So Danny Ainge, to me, he blew out the pack. He literally... The guy probably has given Tim Connolly nightmares of how bad a negotiating process he he put on. Shut up. 
yeah. Any I, no, I, yeah, no, I, I think for me, uh, I, I, I want to give it to, give some love to my playoff opponent, the Cleveland Cavaliers, Kobe Altman. Uh, you know, you got to give him credit in the offseason acquiring Donovan Mitchell, a superstar at that age rarely ever hits the market. So getting an opportunity to snag him when other markets like New York, like Miami, were all in the mix to get him. So really stepping up and doing that while not giving up anyone in your in your core is a massive W. And he instantly put his team on the map to be a contender in the East. I mean, John, didn't you have Cleveland finishing first in the East? I did. Yeah. And with 56. So, yes. And, and, you know, they finished four, but a 50-win team, top defense in the NBA, and – while they got a tough matchup against my Knicks huh. for this year and, and years on going forward, this is going to be a championship contender in the East with what they're building there. So you got to give them credit there. I think you, when you put your team in a position to have long sustained success, uh, you're doing your job. So I'm going to give some love to Cleveland over there. Cleveland, I, I, this is I, for you. I, I love. I, there's a plenty of guys this season that definitely is pretty deserving. Because there's just been some masterful, masterful moves all over the NBA, no. so I don't think there's a wrong. I don't think there's a wrong pick. I just think it's what you, um, what you value. I think I value a little bit more in researching a team and putting them in place to win a championship a little more in Rob Palinka's case versus Danny Ainge's case where you did a masterful job of starting a rebuild. Yeah, no. yeah. Like he'll probably win the award in a year or two when we start to see this, you know, flourish. Yeah. Okay. Final award. What is the final? The All NBA teams? Most, most improved player. Oh, I almost forgot. Okay, it's such shout a, out. Shout not. out. It's a very bizarre award. I still don't have a pick. Because there's, it's tough. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. There's no specific criteria for Looking most Justin improved. over here is like, it's not tough. Last year, they gave it to John Morant, who I felt was not the pick. I thought, I thought it was Desmond Bain. This year, my pick, it's Laurie Markkinen. Now, we have some great contenders. Mikel Bridges took an in-season jump like no other. Jalen Brunson, even De'Aaron Fox, and there's one other player in there, Nick Claxton, Yay. and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, of course, mm. going from 24 to 32 points per game, mm. and defensively has become a borderline all-league defender. Yep. But Laurie Markkinen has gone from an afterthought, a bust, a guy that was just a toss-in into the Donovan Mitchell trade to, nope, he's averaging 25 points per game on elite efficiency. He's even protecting the rim. He doesn't do much as a passer, but to go from 14 to 25 points while shooting up 7% in your true shooting, getting your third point up to 40%, you're finishing up. Laurie Markkinen has become a top 30 player. And coming into this year, I don't know if people would have had him in their top 75. Mikel Bridges, to me, was a top 50 player coming into the season. Jalen Brunson was easily top 75. And Nick Claxton did not have the production Laurie Markkinen did. And so I want to give a shout out to him. And what it shows the situation in coaching is truly everything. Jim Bullen almost ruined this guy's career. And the fact he survived, and so did Zach Levine. And now Chris Dunn's with them hooping in Utah. It goes to show the Bulls. They fumbled that development is big time. ass. Like, yeah. wa watch Patrick Williams leave that. What's their trade Patrick Williams and he turns out to actually be Kawhi 2.0 or something? Like, right now... It's between Shea and Laurie Markkinen for me. I knew Shea was good. I didn't know he was this good. Like this, this is this type of jump is absolutely. I think like not last year, but the year before that, he was averaging twenty four. But he only played like thirty three games. But he was averaging twenty four and really good efficiency. And then there's a fall off the next year. 
and people kind of, you know, like, you know what? This is the real him. He got played a lot more time. This is a lot bigger sample size and is around the same level of production, just a pretty less efficient. I think this is what you get from him. And he comes in this season and just blows everything out the water. Like, genuinely, the I, I mean, you think you saw it in the last playing it. It's just, he's unstoppable. And so, he has so many weapons. He's he's not a below average. He just doesn't take him, but he's, he's a pretty average three-point shooter. Mid-range game is absolutely out this world. He has a million different ways to get to the rim. It's it's honestly just insane. Just wa- And he, I think he's one of the best defensive guards we have in the league right now. It's just insane just to watch him play. But I can't just ignore the Lily, like, jump in production from Laurie Markinen. I have to go Laurie. Like, you almost doubled your point per game average. Um... I didn't know he had this much in his offensive bag, and that that's obviously because of coaching and you know his the the position he was in in Cleveland. Obviously, you'd want Darius Garland and Evan Mobley lead that team versus him offensively, but defensively and offensively, he just showed so much that I didn't even know he had in his bag this season. He was just let loose, and to see him average twenty five on this level of efficiency, and then be one of the better defensive wings or forwards in the league, I got to go him. I, I think we all know where I'm going with this, but I, I'm trying not to make it a uh, thing where every time a fan listens to the show, they're like, ah, this guy again, they this guy him. again. But I feel like I'm already 10 toes deep into that being that guy on this show already. So I might as well just continue to stick with this. As, like you said, there are a ton of guys that are worthy of this award. Laurie Markkinen, I'd even say Shea Gilgis, Alexander, too, can can win this. But uh, I, I'm going to stick with my boy here. I'm going to go with Jalen Brunson, uh, my, my assassin. I, I've nicknamed him the assassin of this Knicks team because he has been something that this franchise has lacked for an extremely long time. Probably the best point guard play that we've had since way back with Walt Clyde Frazier. So... I'd go that far, yeah. No more Jackson but, level, okay. Now this is this is another level. This is superstar level basketball that he's played this year. Uh, last season, averaging sixteen points per, points per game. Now averaging twenty four. The guy absolutely stepped in from day one and showed that yo, I can be a leader on this team. And and you know, going into the season, I was skeptical on the signing because you know, at first you want Donovan Mitchell, and this is what we get out of it. You wondered, okay, this is a guy that was playing behind Luca all this time. What is he capable of? And we saw flashes of that in the postseason last year. Just didn't know if that would sustain for an entire season. And did he prove us wrong? Jalen Brunson, I, I, I was just looking at his uh, season highs right now. Last year, one of his season highs in points was 31 with Dallas. His season high with us this year, 48. The guy was an absolute menace offensively. Played very good defense also. He just did it all on and off the court he was a leader instant impact and forget the guy should have been an all-star not just being consideration for most improved player um this is not just a Knicks for clicks thing I'm actually saying this because I really believe it Jalen Brunson's my most improved real quick how the (laughs) did Jalen Brunson make the Knicks a top three offense Uh, top three offense he came in. I understand. I understand how he did it. That's they were twenty second last year, they, and the they've only never... difference was him and Emmanuel quickly taking a step forward. He's the best guard they've yeah. had since who? Like Stefan Marbury. <laughs> He's better point. than Marbury, though. 
Yeah, yeah no, not. since then. Since then. Like, I think when you have a point guard that's that dynamic on that offensive end, it opens the door so much for what Julius Randle can now do in, in isolation and as a passer. It opens the door so much more for what RJ Barrett, how much free RJ Barrett is. So you, I understand why he's able to push their offense a little bit. I didn't expect to be third. I didn't expect this from him this year. He's definitely one of the guys that's deserving. But I understand how he's able to push him to at least a top five offense. That is the best offense in the Eastern Conference. It's better than Milwaukee. That's better than Cleveland. That's better than Boston. Boston is the only one that surprised me. I'm not going to lie. Interesting. Uh, Justin, I mean, disrespecting your boy, Lynn Sanity, bro. You know, it's a good so crazy. No, I'm not. I'm <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> um no but my um uh, listen this most improved player of the war can go to um a number of different players for me um agreeing with john it's laurie marketing i just look at it, i just want to go over it real quick with you 14.8 points per game to 25.6 5.7 rebounds to 8.6 rebounds 1.3 to 1.9 assist uh he he upped in turnovers by only one he's only 1.9 turnovers a game is incredible 5.1 um Shot makes 11.5 shot attempts to now 8.7 for 17.3, 44.5% to 49.9% from the field, 35.8% to 39.2 from three, and 86.8 to 87.5. He's literally upped in almost every statistical category you could think of. Lori Marketing uh, is the most approved player of the year. Shout out, Lori. And with Brunson, we knew it was a matter of him getting more opportunity. No. With Laurie Marketing, it was opportunity and him just taking his game from okay to elite. Mm. And so that's why I still think he would be above Jalen. Honestly, no. think when you look when you look back at some of those Bulls games, <laughs> it I feel like Laurie's always had some of this in his bag. Those coaches just never let him unleash it. Sure. Like on the Bulls, he was literally, hey yo, you sit in the corner, mm -hmm. you either hit these corners, you either hit these um spot of threes, or you attack closeouts, and that's it. We're not allowing you to go in the post. You're not yeah. going one on one. Um, we're not a we're not a good team, great team in transition. So you're not running the break at all. So it's like, is that the fact that he's able to unleash a lot of this stuff now? He's showing it. It goes back to that quote I heard from uh, Candace Parker on um, Inside the NBA once, where she said, and this is no shot at Laurie Marketing, but this just kind of explains it. There's going to be a guy on every team that has to get the 20 points a game. And and a, or ten boards or whatever. There's always going to be that guy. Laurie Marketing is that is that guy for the Utah Jazz. He just wasn't able to show it in his previous teams. He's now able to show I, I it. I understand that take, but I think it's different when it's somebody that's got to get twenty because normally those guys are inefficient when they do it because they're not supposed to be in this position to be that type of score for that team. Laurie just came in and just like, nah, I'm really a bucket. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't think y'all understand. Like. Yeah, but as the number one guy, if he has to take a back seat again, which he's going to have to if he wants to be on a championship team, then he's not going to be putting up these type of numbers. I mean, I think he can be a second option in a championship But his team. play style is play finishing, and he's an elite play finisher. Put him next right to a now, star, he'll finish plays for sure. Right now with Utah, if they didn't decide to tank for a little part of that second half of the season, they, I think they would be firmly in the plan right now. Put him in Dallas. Huh? Put him in Dallas. <laughs> Lori marketing off Luka Doncic. Don't, Ooh, don't. I like no, that. No, 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 no. Don't do that to Lori. Don't Luka, do that to Lori. Luka's not going to give him the ball. Uh, no, he's not even that. Don't he's do going to gonna end Lurie. up the next Kristaps Porzingis. Don't he's going to be complaining about not getting the you ball. Need a, you need a low. For Luka, it has to be a low low usage, maybe low usage, high defensive, big. Yeah. Like maybe a Nick Claxton and then a better, like a, a really good shooting wing. Like if you get like a Bogdanovich, 
um, at the forward spot and Nick Claxton in the centers. That's perfect for Dallas. But Luca has to have the ball overwhelmingly on that team for it to for him to Speaking be the guy. Luca. I don't think you can put somebody like Laurie next to him and it be successful. You're gonna Fair you're enough. gonna put him in the you're gonna put him back in the Kristaps position so again. Let's transition to guys like Luca and All NBA. My first team All NBA squad. We we're gonna do best takes, but to be honest with you all, we could do that at a different show. Yeah. I want to hone in now on Dane Lillard because he is first team All NBA, and I think a lot of people this year haven't given him the respect he deserves because this season is just as good as Steph Curry two years ago when Steph was second in MVP votes. And when he's on the floor this year, the Blazers have a 119 offensive rating. That'd be third best in the NBA. With that, it drops to well below average at 110. 112, excuse me. And defensively is why the Trailblazers stink. The Warriors two years ago, I'm going to come back to this Steph comparison. They had a top five defense at Draymond. The reason that Blazers missed the playoffs this year is not because of Dame. It's because of a crappy defense. So I have Dame first team All-NBA, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Jason Tatum, Giannis, and whoever wins MVP. I think it's going to be Embiid, so he would be first team. But if Jokic wins it, I think he would be first team instead. I don't vibe with the Marcus Gasol thing where you win the award, but you come second team. I think it's bull. I want to see whoever wins MVP be yeah. on the first team center. John, I want to – so I want to hone in on that. So you have Shea, Luca, No, Jason no Tatum. Luca. It's Shea, Dame. I'm oh, sorry. Dame. Yes, Dame. Tatum. Who's the foot? Giannis? Yep. And then whoever wins MVP. Yep. Um, Which I think will be Embiid. Okay, so here's what I need to understand from you, right? And I'm not just attacking you. I just want, you know, clarity on this uh, All-NBA. Does winning matter at all to you when uh, taking into account for All-NBA teams? It does, but context also matters too. I understand. Listen, I'm a king of context, okay? <laughs> but context is still it, – it, it, you, you can make that argument with context about Dame. At the end of the day, the context is they're on a crap team and he's – not winning games. They are top so, ten offense, and with them, it's top. Uh, three. What is that getting you? They're not even in the plan. So here's my thing, right? Why I ask you to clarify on that winning? Because my whole list, I take winning into the highest regard. If you're not winning, you're not on my list. So it has to do with your stats and winning, not impacts. Impact doesn't Imp- matter. Impact is impact, impact is their own category, which, though, shouldn't it? When I when I say winning, I should specify this: impact towards your team's winning. Okay, right. I feel like Dame is one of the most impactful stars. Thirty-four top games player. is not cutting it when you got guys on the other list that are twenty games above him. I don't blame that on Dame though, because you Dame that that's fine. He doesn't, last 15. He doesn't last, get the criticism. That's fine, but you cannot reward a guy for bowling out singularity. But also say winning does take into consideration. Dame didn't it ball has out to negatively year. impact him. Dame was on the long list for MVP this season. There's a difference there. Yeah, but Dame had his best again, you're doing, wait, 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 wait. I got him. I got him. I got him. I got him again because yeah. this goes back to the the conversation me and Romain just had about 30 minutes ago or whatever when he asked me. I forget what it was. See, you're saying what other people are saying. Homeboy, you're talking to me right now. Okay, you're talking my opinion. I'm telling you my opinion. A Dame Lillard would not have been anywhere near my list for MVP because you have to win. So for all NBA, you have to win. It's an individual and you can award. say it's not his fault. Brother, if you're not the problem, are you the solution? Are you? He is a solution, yeah. He's is averaging... he, why do they only have 34 wins? Because they won the worst defenses in the NBA. So he's on a terrible team and he's balling out by himself. So I mean, they discredit were, Steph Curry. Way, 
discredit De'Aaron Fox, he had a better Donovan than Mitchell, he's better than Kevin Booker, he was better than all of those guards you just named. When the Blazers okay, were held, okay, 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 when the Blazers were held, the they were the number one seed for two weeks when that's, they were healthy. Who early in the season? Who? Blazers. Two, two weeks. weeks? What are you talking about? They weren't healthy, and they when had nobody no was watching the games early in the season. John, John, I hate John, to bring it to you, but John, I'm this is an individual. Right All NBA's individual awards. No, so winning does matter. Winning wait, should not. Wait, that's demerit why I asked awards. you. That's why that's I directly asked you, John Tortorelli. That's your name right there. It says right there, John Tortorelli. I asked you directly. Does winning? Do you take winning into consideration? You said yes. Now you're switching. Wait, I said John. it plays a role, but Wait, context John, matters seasons, more. Context is more important. So then, what about stats? So, so, so. What about stats? I'm just talking about well, Steph, how much do you drive? Steve had a better year than Steph Curry. Damian Lillard was better this season. Well, you don't even. So he can have a better year statistically wise. I mean, I don't think it's by that much of a. When he was in the floor, the Trailblazers' offense was better than the Warriors' offense. Okay, that's fine. But does he? What? You're not even taking into account the wins. Wins matter, but Steph has Draymond Green, Steve even, Kerr, and you know, pretty good you're starters. Away, you shouldn't that's be not. taking away credit from a guy just because he's playing on a better team. That, that and that's why fair. you value wins, but context will tell you, okay, Steph had a much better roster, but that's irregardless of how 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 how, 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 how that year how did if Steph you have put Draymond on the no, right now we're talking right now games no but he was he's talking about Steph Kerr. No, he was talking about Steph Curry two years ago when he made All NBA. When yeah, that team. no, that's but the point he was well. making for why Lillard deserves to be. Yeah, but I'm saying like right I'm now. saying back then, how did Steph have a better team than Dame does right now? I was Draymond Green the entire season. If Draymond Green was in the Portland Trailblazers, they would have won more games this year in the Warriors. I just, okay, see, I love Draymond, but this is where it gets to the point where people are starting to put a little too much stock. One of the five best Dame. defenders in the world, and one of the five best playmakers at his position. You you mean to tell me for a Trailblazers defense that was bottom five? This I think year, you, if put, you put, put a I think... defensive player of the year on that squad. The Warriors want to take a massive step back. Okay, when, without look at Draymond it this way, this year, you're giving them a lot of credit for like the, NBA. the worst giving... defense with Draymond on the floor. The Warriors were the best defense in the NBA. That's on, the type but... of player Steph Curry gets to play with. One of the greatest defenders we have ever seen. You put him in Portland, I guarantee you they're winning forty five games wait, John, at least. John, 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 wait. No, wait, never mind. Right it. now, right, um, I'm looking at the numbers right now. I, but if you're going to give get Dame, if you're going to give like Draymond that much credit for Golden State's defense and not the fact that they're that cohesive, but you're going to sit here and give Dame all the this much credit for Portland's offense when you have Jeremy Grant having a career shooting 40% for me, Anthony, Sim, Anthony Simons having a career year shooting 37%. But they drop off to 112 without him, though. What about that? I, I just 119 I with him. Seven points better. Board. That's a pretty you're, big gap. You're kind of your list kind of makes that's sense. Your that's your superstar. You expect that when that's your superstar. Warriors don't have that big of a gap. When 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 your list kind of makes sense because of the way you've 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 laid it out. So it's hard for me to. Let me put it this way, Brand. All NBA no, fifteen I, best players in the world. Winning I, that's going to put not, Julius Randle on my I'm team. Not, Julius Randle is not more deserving than a top that. ten player. I'm not disagreeing with that. Damian Lillard is is freaking this year. Yes, he is. I know he is, man. But but when you're going in this season, I feel like winning has to matter. And all the guys I have ahead of him on my list are winning. They're in the playoffs. I have Damian on my LNBA team. He's, he's just on 13. mine. He's not he's on just mine. 13. 
No, he's not on mine. So winning's I mean, if, the if, only if, reason I'm off. No, it's cool. not. It's stats. It's stats. He's got it's amazing stats. The best year winning. of his career. And he's if had you take wins completely out of it, Dame is first team. Without a doubt. Okay, but I'm not going to do that. I will not do that because then, then it just becomes a rhythm. What what the hell are we playing for? We play to win. The, this is all NBA. Game. It's the best players in the world. It's not how many games you won. That's bullshit. That's why I that's asked you, does winning matter? That, that plays is, a role in it. That's me? like a tiebreaker between players. But that's for you. That takes Dame, who is a first-team All-NBA performer without wins, off your list entirely. Yes. So you're clearly way too biased about wins. No, it's and not. That's affecting you your act judgment like all the other guys on but my list. I can't value your NBA opinion. If you that's going like, to be the entire reason why wait, he's not wait, on NBA, okay, I can't John, value that opinion. I can't. John, I can't if, take it seriously. You, like, you act like all Dame my other guys first, on the list are trash. You act Dame like first, all the other guys on my list are garbage. Dame has been much better this year than Who? all those guards. Like Devin Booker. Devin Booker's missed a ton of time this year. A ton of time. Okay, but and the Suns so is Dame. Okay, but you Damian Lillard was much better than Devin Booker. Are you comfortable with guys like Donovan Mitchell, John Morant, Devin Booker's not on my all-NBA all teams this year either way. Where you're comfortable with all these guards, potentially a guy like De'Aaron Fox, who had a season, insane season, getting snubbed because you want to put Dame De'Aaron on the Fox, first team? De'Aaron Fox is on my team. I'm just saying right, I'm just saying right now, 30. I think there's plenty of guards that have been not only as offensively impactful as Dame, but they're also on teams that they provide a certain level of impact that they win. I understand Portland's defense sucks. Part of the reason why it sucks is because of Dame. The, I understand that he, they're starting. I understand right. the off. I understand um offensively they're great. I understand offensively they're great. That's not that doesn't cut it. That doesn't cut it. Yeah. I, you, well, I mean, I'll just on the give roster you my... construction, but guess what? Your roster construction is gonna cost you some awards. Guess he could have been he could have been the MVP yes. conversation if Portland was winning to, this year. You have to take not going to be because guess what? If that's the case. Then MVP, I mean MVP. Then then you'd have to the winning has to be taken out for that. It just it's interesting how you describe it, John. But at that me, point, I feel like I feel like yeah, we're just putting we're we're literally underrating winning way too much. Yeah. You guys point, are overlooking. Like, no, NBA affects not. supermax contracts, me, so me. to give it to Dave, undeserving players who are not top ten players. It's going to completely mess up the salary structure for the truly best 15 players in the world. Bro, John, I guarantee you. for the next five years with 250 mil. He's good. Don't I set the standard you. the wrong way because now the expectation is you have to win games. If it's MVP, wins matter more. But for all NBA, this is individual awards. I think Damian Lillard was a top 10 player this season. So let me ask you. But then, but this is also the reason 75. why I don't even have Shea on my first team because of winning. Shea's so been 70 so 75% stats for John, 25% winning. Is that the No, stats is not 75%. It's was Dame a top 10 player because of his I'm, impact? I'm asking you how you weigh this award out. So for me, it's 50 50. I look his at impact, their statistical his impact production and, winning and the impact. team and how vital he was to his team. So impact, effect, and production. Stats are not 75% of my reasoning here. It's when he's on the floor. Statistical production is what you're saying. It, it, statistical production is that. Yeah, like, but I'm not just going off his 32 points. It's when he's on the floor, the Blazers are That's top statistical two production, my guy. That is literally the definition of statistical production. So that's why I'm saying I'm taking all that into account. I'm not saying just his end. I'm taking all those stats you laid out too, the, when he's on the floor, when he's off the floor. That's statistical production. Yes. You want to say effect and use semantics. We're going in semantics. Elite offense. That's why I'm saying 75% of your rating is statistical production, while 25% would be winning 
effectiveness. For me, it's 50-50. You say I'm overlooking. I'm literally telling you I'm not. So you have to have the stat, statistical, statistical production for me and the winning. Both have to correlate. If one is completely off, I'm sorry, and I've got somebody else who's pretty even, you're getting bumped. That's just how the world works That's how, for me in any more. Maybe not you, but for me, it is. This is my first team. Steph Curry, Jalen Brown, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jason Tatum, and Nikola Jokic as my center. Jalen Brown, first team. Yeah. Is he yeah, not I, averaging I, I, I 27 about, points per game? A little bit with that one. Is he not averaging 27 points per game? Yeah, but that put, put that puts him on my second team because you have right now my first so team. Who, who's the other guy then? Oh, um, I what this? What do no, you have? You Brown as so a you said Jalen's on your second team. So the guard? Well, for me, I have J. That's why it's kind of weird for me because Jalen, for me, I, I look him as a shooting guard. Maybe he plays small forward. But... Yeah, I have him as a shooting guard too. But I so have who's my, the, who's I have the my second first guy. Team. I'm my first uh, team as Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I have Steph. I have Steph, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Giannis, and Embiid. Yeah, Donovan's my Donovan's on my second team. I have I Donovan have, first team. I have Shea, Donovan, Jason Tatum, Giannis, and Embiid. Shea, 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 and who was the other guard? Donovan. Shea and Donovan. Gotcha. Yeah, second second team is where it gets a little bit funky, but that's where I have that's why I have Shea, Luca, Jalen Brown, Jokic. And um, freaking, how did I forget his name? The other forward, Giannis. Bonus. I no 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 no. It's a bonus. bonus. There you go. It's a bonus. Second team, and then third team, um, that third team. That's where I have Darren Fox. That's where I have um, um, I have Darren Fox. I have LeBron on my. I have LeBron, LeBron. there. Um, I did have Laurie Markkinen, but I was between him and Julius Randle, and I think Julius Randle is just a little bit more deserving this season from how mm. he played. Yeah, it's interesting because see, look, I understand. John looks. John, how is Jalen to... Brown All NBA above Jason Tatum? He's oh, not. Oh, for him. Oh, no, I, 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 wait, wait, whoa, whoa! See, team. this is the thing. He reacted so bad. Jason Tatum's on my list. You walked away without me explaining that I have Jalen Brown as a shooting guard on my list. A guard for me. He's so not I, you a didn't, did you guard. not listen? Steph, Jalen Brown, Giannis, Jason Tatum, no. Jokic. Jalen Brown on first team All NBA is absurd. How is that? It's a, not he's not a top fifteen player in the it's world. It's a little bit of a push, but it's not absurd. He's, he's not top fifteen. Oh, that's I'll be honest, he's not I don't having even, a top fifteen uh, uh, season either. I'll be honest, I don't even have him on my second team. Is he's he on my third team, maybe. Year? No, he's having a great season. But he's having 27 points on, I think, 49% shooting from the field. And defensively, he's taking a step back in the regular season. Oh, my guy. What's Brandon? Damian Lillard defensively, my guy? Are you really kidding me right now? You want to talk defense? Yeah. What? When has Damian Lillard ever been a top defender? He makes up for that with the seven assists. He makes up for that with the seven assists. This is my Jalen Brown. He's taking a step back. On his worst day, on his worst day, Damian Lillard can't. Lace up his boots defensively. So what are you talking about? We're talking about this season. Jalen yeah. Brown's nowhere near first team All-NBA. Okay, in your nowhere opinion, hundred percent. Because he's you not a top fifteen player. He's not a top fifteen season. But would he even be? Right, let's do this. Consideration as a guard. Shea Gilgeous Alexander clears. Dame clears. Steph. De'Aaron Fox. I would also have above him. And Luka Doncic, a top five player in the world. Mm. I know the Mavericks' defense was trash, but in the start of the season, he was an MVP candidate. That's five guards right there who are 
so far and away above Jalen Brown, I yeah, don't even think about his you're name. Only looking then at, I get you're to only Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, and then Jalen Brown's maybe top ten. Maybe top look, ten. You're, top you're, two to me is ludicrous. That's you're, you're, absolutely you're ridiculous. Only, you're only looking at talent when I've literally laid out my definition and you don't want to go at my definition. You want to go oh, at so your I feel like you're underrating Jalen Brown a little bit there, because that's kind of is he on the level of Luka Doncic, Steph Curry, Shea Gildas, Alexander, Damian Lillard, or De'Aaron Fox? Maybe De'Aaron, right? Maybe. But De'Aaron this year has been a more important player to his team. I mean, we were talking well, Jalen Brown because I mean, number one on a I championship have, I team. I have Luka and Jalen Brown on my second team. The problem with all NBA teams is that they fluctuate because of production and winning each season. Mm-hmm. They, that's why they fluctuate. And if you're going to if you're going to fluctuate them this season, words. I can understand why somebody would make the reach of putting him on their first team. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, that's, I'm not that's gonna do fair. It. That is completely fair. If your definition, you don't take, which I'm agreeing with you, John, your thing is winning doesn't take that much impact into your All-NBA, and that's completely fair because that's your opinion. Me, winning means 50-50. And I just explained to you before that if the stats are here with you, right, Lillard might is going to be a little bit higher than him or, you know, whatever higher, but winning here, they're the second best team in the entire NBA. I'm uh, And also, I love them, but I just... The Celtics are a 50 like win just, team still like, without Jalen Brown. I feel like people are just throwing too many too many awards and too many things at Dame for consistently losing. It's it's and I understand it's not always his fault. It's not it's it's not always his fault. But it's just too much consistent losing, yet we keep giving yet we keep just keep giving him these awards. When there's other guys I feel like they're a little more deserving. I would have Jalen Brown on an NBA all NBA first team before Jason before Damian Lillard. Dame just had his best season. Yes, his best statistical season. It's again, not, we're we're arguing. Was, we're not going to get to the bottom of it because we all have, be on, we have different no, no, definitions. Honest, we're on two different sides of the park. We're, we're both on different sides of the street. We're never going to come to a conclusion with this because John's definition, our definition is completely different, like I've explained multiple times. So I know Justin has to get out of here soon. So I do want Justin to quickly give his pl- first round playoff predictions before he heads out so we can at least just have that from him. All right, okay. so we can come back, come back to the All NBA stuff. Right. Yeah, we can go back to that if you want to. I just want to get Justin's uh, play first round playoff predictions first. So, Justin, first up, Nets versus Sixers. Uh that's a walk in the park. I'll take the Sixers and five. Sixers and five. Set- Celtics versus Hawks. I think Celtics sweep. All right, uh, Knicks and Cavs. Hmm. <laughs> I swear to God, I swear to God, you know where he's going. I know you he's know, going with, but if he's my thing is, uh, I don't, I don't know how Julius Randle is. I, I haven't seen any reports. I think on he's him. supposed to play game one. I think he's I supposed, supposed to come to back game one. And to what capacity yeah. that may be? Probably uh, not great. That ankle injury was tough. I'm gonna say Nixon seven. Fair. Oh. Um, so next up, we got Warriors versus Kings. I'm gonna take the uh, the Kings in six. Okay. Uh, Bucks versus either Heat or Bulls. If the Bucks are facing the Heat, I'm taking the Bucks in six. Mm-hmm. If they're playing the Bulls, it's a sweep. Stop okay. giving us credit. That's over in five. Uh, I, have, I have too much. Re- I have too much respect for Jimmy buckets and Eric Spolstra. Net you Nuggets should. versus either the uh, OKC Thunder or Minnesota Timberwolves. Nuggets in five. Uh, Grizzlies versus Lakers. I, I had this conversation yesterday with a coworker, and. You know, after what I saw out of the Lakers in the play-in game, and we spoke about them, and I had mentioned their inconsistency, Uh 
I think ultimately they're too inconsistent to get by Memphis. I'm going to take Memphis in six. All right. And finally, Clippers versus the Suns. Kevin Durant is playing ball. I think the Clippers are overrated. I'm going to go Suns in five. All right. Also, PG's not playing. Justin Ray's playoff first round predictions. Let's see. Hold on. Gentlemen, I'll see you guys. Let's go, Knicks. By the time we (laughs) game one will be have been played. Mm -hmm. Brandon, I am rooting for your Miami Heat because Mm -hmm. you're my guy. Mm -hmm. No, no, we need to be in the lottery. Get it, please. Very wonderful day. We need a lottery. (laughs) I'll see you guys. Peace out, guys. Stay classy. Uh, So the All NBA discussion. Let's go back. You know, so I think Jalen Brown's a top twenty player, and I think he is definitely an All NBA consideration. He's on my thirteen. Barely. And I just feel like <laughs> wins do matter a lot. You have to really take into account who's the best player, I think, in all NBA. Hmm. Because this is, at the end of the day, this is individual stuff. And I feel like last year, or in any season, if we overvalue team success, then we're not truly putting out there the 15 best players. And I, in my eyes, Jalen Brown is just not on the same level of player as those five guards I mentioned before. And you can take De'Aaron Fox out of it because I think Jalen's better than De'Aaron. De'Aaron has had a better season. But between Lucas, Shea, Steph, and Dame, I just think those guys are like low-end MVP candidates. They're on the long list for MVP. Whereas Jalen may be a top 15 player, and he would be like, you know, not in that level, not that tier to me. Uh, and again, I hear exactly where you're coming from. It's uh, we We completely disagree on... You know, and listen, I hear what you're saying with we can't overvalue team success, but John, it is not like I am putting like Trey Young on my first all NBA. T- this is Jalen, we know Jalen Brown is an elite player in this league. Like, I'm not putting a scrub over these guys. We were just, we've been talking about for the last year, can Jalen Brown be a number one on a championship team? And I know we haven't seen it because he's been labeled the number two just because. I guess Celtics fans love Jason Tatum more. All right. Jay, we haven't seen Jalen Brown be able to do that because he hasn't, you know, been alone. You've seen from those other guys, but it's just fundamentally we disagree. Like I, I would hear your point if I had some scrub on there, but I feel like Jalen Brown is is not no scrub. I mean, you 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 were like He's not even top 15. Now you've kind of softened because you realized, you know, you, you, you've kind of overblown because you freaked out a little too much on that. And, and, and that's fine. Has Damian Lillard statistically had a better season than Jalen Brown? Yeah, I, I, I gave you that. But when I take winning into consideration too, Jalen Brown's the second best player on his team, not by a lot either. Like it, Tatum and Brown are, are right there. They are the duo. All right. I'm giving it to them. And, and, both the, both the Celtics' top two dogs are in my first team. I wanted to end on this thought. In my mind, this is how my brain works. Mm-hmm. Who was more important to who was more important to team success? Mm. That's the question. That's fair. that's where my solution lands. That's fair. I think without Jalen Brown, they definitely wouldn't be the second best team in the NBA. So real quick, I want to do this voluntarily. Is Jalen Brown a top fifteen player? If we go fifteen, the list, maybe a little bit of a stretch. I- Top have to, definitely top 20. top 20 player. Yeah, definitely yeah. top 20. Okay. I think you can easily make the argument he's top 15, though. You can make I, the I argument that he's top 15. I have but to have the list 20. in front of me. Well, I've got the list. Uh, um, well, my list, because I know our lists are completely different. But uh, yeah, I think he's he's you can make the easily argument he's top 15. Okay, we won't go through it now, but 
I think we'll come back to this in the offseason. Yeah, I think we've, we've had enough. Do you think, like, Jalen Brown's 27 is like a Zach Levine 27? A little bit. That's crazy. <laughs> but Zach Levine is That's effortless. Funny. He's an underrated Then player. I don't think you're taking into consideration, again, the defense, and you say he dropped down. There's, he's still better than both those guys on his worst night defensively. Yes, but he, he actually is a lot like Zach Levine. We're on the ball. Levine is a pretty No, no, no. Player. He's not wrong. Scoring, he definitely is a lot like Zach Levine, and he does – Problem with Jalen Brown is that when sometimes when he does score, it's out of the flow of the offense. A lot, um, not a lot, but he's definitely gotten better over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he is like I said, he is. I think the reason he wasn't crowned as the best is because he has taken increments to get better every single year. You start, yeah. I think he averaged what seven points his rookie year, and he's gotten better every he's single scored. year. And his so. decision making, his decision making in the pick and roll, handling the ball in certain yep. passes, definitely needs to get better. It's the same problem they had last year, and he still has that problem this year. Yeah. But even with those, even with those considering, if Lillard, if this was that year where the the Trailblazers were still a top four team, not even top West, four, they just have to make the playoffs. I, I would, they, I would be putting Damian Lillard on my first team. All if Dame was, if Dame was a ninth seed in the play and winning what forty games this year, I would have, I would have him probably on my first team. Is the fact that they won thirty three games this season? He literally just gave. They sat him because he's just like, yeah, there's no point anymore. And when you look at some of the games he was scoring so high level in, they kept losing. And part and yeah. part of that is because of the defense. But part of that is the defense when he's on the floor. <laughs> That's reasonable. So we can do the second and third team Olympiads. No, if you guys would like, I know we spent a lot of time right there. Um, I mean, yeah, for me, my second team is De'Aaron Fox. Donovan Mitchell, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, and Joel Embiid. We have the same exact second team. <laughs> and then my third team is Shea Gilgis Alexander, Devin Booker, Jimmy Butler, AD, and Sabonis. Uh, I agree first, with Sabonis oh. being the third team center over it. I think Sabonis is more deserving to be on NBA than Anthony Davis. He's played more games. Well, I have I have AD in mind. I just put AD as a power forward. Okay. And I know he's he's not. It's just. Listen, this is a, the next year will be much easier because of the position list. So, first team, I got D, Mitch, Steph, Tatum, Giannis, and Bede. Second team, I got Luca, Jalen Brown, Braun, Jimmy, and Jokic. And then third team, I have Deer and Fox, Damian Lillard, Laurie Markin, and Julius Randle, and Sabonis. I was actually wrong. I have Deer in third team. I have Steph and Donovan second team with whoever comes second in MVP at center. So, I think that'll be Jokic. And then my two forwards are Kawhi and LeBron. My oh. third team would then be, this is tough, the sixth. I can't do, I can't put Kawhi because of literally how little he played. And early in the year, even when he was playing, he was playing like cheeks. Kawhi still played 50 games. That's what, that's where my list was cut. If you, I, I had a cutoff in my own mind. I said 50 or more games. That's why KD's not on my list. He didn't play 50. My cutoff is 50 or more games you have to play to enter this conversation for me. I did have Kevin Durant as my... Like, cause KD, if he played fifty games or more, he would. I think he'd probably first team. First I had team him thirteen or, four yeah, over Julius Randle. My thirteen would be if KD could play like sixty games this season at the production he was. I would have had first team yeah. over Tatum. I mean, well, it would have been a histor- historical season. He would. Yeah, I would have had him. Done what he's doing: fifty-five, forty, and ninety. Never yeah, been but yeah, I would have had him over Tatum. So, I said my first team and my second. My third team would have De'Aaron Fox. And DeMontis Sumos. Two Kings on the same squad. I would have Kevin Durant ab- uh, above Julius Randle because, to me, he's top five player in the world. 
And those 47, I'll take 47 games of Kevin Durant before I take 70 of Julius Randle. And then alongside those three guys, I'm still torn with my, my second guard spot. Booker? No. I'm going to go John Morant over Devin Booker. The, the Grizzlies this year have been a 51 team. I mean, they're so good at out there. 35 and 6 at home. And he is such a great fit because they don't have much shooting. It doesn't matter. And yeah. then my second forward alongside Kevin Durant. I'll be, I'll be honest. If Dame doesn't make Luka, a team yeah. on third That's team, if Dame doesn't make a team, but you put Ja as the, the other guard on the third team, I wouldn't mind that either. I'm not going to lie. I forgot about Luca. to be honest with you. Uh, oh. I guess Luca could be third team for me. Really? Like, That's a couple weeks See? ago, Luca was second team. A couple weeks ago for me, Luca was second team. He was actually just like, to me, I was torn between SGA's first team and Luca. Now, SGA's in the playoffs. I give him John, 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 let, let, let's talk here a second. Let's talk here a second. What is the logic behind Luca third team, but Dame first team? No, I just win? forgot about Luca. I'll be honest with you. I but think then Luka would Luka, be second team. If, if that's your criteria yeah, that's the for thing. why Dame so should me, be, should not Luca be in that position? I would have Luca on my second team, and then I'm going to take LeBron and put him on my third or Kevin Durant. Okay, my, then I'm going to leave is, Kawhi is and Luca on my is second. It just, is this just that I really like Dame take then? Because... No, it's just that you can only have two guards in your first team. I think Luca was the odd man out. And because his team didn't make the plane, just like Dame, he had a little bit of a worse season. I'm going to bump him down to second team. A little bit worse of a season. Uh, 38 versus 33 games. I don't know. And I don't know production-wise if Luca had a worse season than Dame. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, he, he had more assists, obviously more rebounds. Okay, but so when the, team to winning, me, when the team was winning a little bit more and you had better production. Dame, to me, just had a better season than Luca, considering how good he made Portland's offense. A 119, that's like Denver levels. And a 112 oh. without him, that's, eh, you know. Again, I think you're giving Dame a lot of credit for the offense when there's that team was built to be great offensively. You have shooters everywhere. Versus Erica Chan, a shooter. Drew Eubanks is Hey, at the five. Yeah, I mean, Yusuf Nurkic is a. Oh, no, Yusuf Nurkic is cooked. I understand that. But But you have Anthony Anthony Simon, Shaden Sharp, that's shown a lot of shooting touches here. Jeremy Grant, who's shooting 40% from three. Like, you have. Four guys on that starting lineup that can all shoot 37% plus. And you have a guy like Dame that has that deep of a range and that good of a playmaker. I think you're obviously going to have that good of an offense. You know, but, I don't have my list in front of me. I couldn't find the shot. I have it in my notes. But Luca, app, but... Luca fell off the first team. And then I have him on my second right next to Kawhi. Then I'll bump LeBron. So let me just repeat this. My second team all NBA would be Steph Curry, Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic, Kawhi Leonard, and then the center. We'll go with Jokic. My third team would then have LeBron and Kevin Durant at my forward spots. Demathus Bonus at center with my two guards being De'Aaron and John Morant. So Luka was first team. The last couple of weeks, he slightly fell down to second. But it wasn't really as much as him not playing well. Though defensively, he was a pretty big reason. Actually, I'll, I'll make- it was more so just the fact that Luka was the odd man out on my first team. Because he was a top five player early in the season. I'll make some changes to my to my forward spot. I will take Jimmy out completely off either team. And I would put Julius second, and I'd put Pascal third. Julius Randles over Jimmy again. We saw in 2021 how that went. Yeah, one of them is gonna be one of them is gonna be in the playoffs. The other one probably isn't. I'm not I don't care anymore. Like I'm not I'm not I'm done giving this heat team. I'm done making like um arguments for Bane winning defensive player of the year, Jimmy being all NBA or an all-star. 
when this is what when this is the product that we're getting. Maybe that's just a little too much of a personal connection to my own team, but they piss me off way too much, bro. Don't you think that's just because there are specific players and they'd be built around very well? And you know, unlike twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty two, they just you know haven't had the support. Yeah, that's, the reason, and that's the reason they're not performing up to par. That's the reason why Deer and Fox is a bonus is on a team right now. You build a team perfectly around them. That's the reason. There's the reason why you have Donovan Mitchell on the team. You have a team that's perfectly built around him that actually mitigates some of his weaknesses. Your team construction and how good your team is always going to be played into this factor. But at the end of the day, you're the offensive engine or you're the offensive engine for this team. So I can't really just take it out. I can't just like use that against you. That's reasonable. Okay. So I do want to just kind of brush past the all defense for the sake of time and move forward to our first round matchups so we've got the nets versus the sixers and i think mikhail bridges has something to prove in this matchup being traded from the 76ers on draft night and i think they're gonna take a game brooklyn will the same way they I, I oh i thought you're gonna say so i, I thought they're gonna say seven i think they can take two i think, I they think can... they're gonna go to five games but i just don't think nick laxton stands much of a much of a chance against Joel and being the post and being philadelphia is healthy they still have not been a real team yet, but I think this Brooklyn team, that you can make the case this is the second-best team they beat in the playoffs after last year's Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I'm expecting James Harden in this series to do well because, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith to me is just, he's not going to stop Joel and being James Harden. Uh-huh. In a first-round series, James Harden most likely always does well. So I'm, I have no I have no issues with either their production in the first round of these playoffs. What's really going to be the thing for me and Philly in this series, because I think this is going to go five or six games, is watching Doc Rivers' rotation and how he coaches this team, because that's going to tell me what the others, what the next series against Boston is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And if he's already screwing up against freaking Brooklyn, and he's if he's getting outcoached by Jacques Vaughn, and it's just his talent that's getting him over the edge. But right that? now, first round series, yeah, easy, 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 Philly, five or six. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's uh, I think I honestly expect Philly in five, and I think that they should. And honestly, I think they need to to prove a point here. Um, I, yeah, I just don't Toronto think almost came back last year. If this yeah, goes but, to six games, it's a red flag. I know it's just it's just like listen, man. You we already have talks the entire season that they're the third team in the East, and there's a pretty big margin between the top two and then Philly. Yeah. So if they they need to come in here and they need to handle business, kind of like Milwaukee and um, get themselves rest. Boston are going to, yeah, and the rest too, because yeah. uh, I think Har- while Harden's going to play, I think he's still dealing with that Achilles, and you never know with Embiid. It, it, it I mean, the guy could have his a face last bug. year. <laughs> yeah, the guy could also have a stomach bug too. You know, he gets sick. Uh, he's this just he's just a worst. magnet for things hitting his face, just, bro. Yeah, just bad. So. I got the Philly in five. I just don't think the Nets have the star power to compete with the uh, uh, Philadelphia 76ers. So, like, he right his now, two times. Right. Like, it, last it, year, I think he had like four, four freaking injuries. He had a facial left. fracture, concussion. Finger, yeah. Finger. And then the thing about Jordan Beat is that something. Philly fans like to act like there's these outwards, like, out the outwards um, factors that lead to his bad performances. And ever since he's been a superstar, ever since Philly's been in the playoffs, 2018, when he lost to Boston, that was without Kyrie and Jalen Brown. And I think in a closeout, in the closeout game, he goes one for six in the fourth. To not, when he, they're down 2-0, he goes 10 for 26 in game three, and they lose that one to go down 3-0. 
Then you look at 2019 versus the Raptors. He shat the bed. He's the reason they lost that series. They should, if he played like he regularly should, they would have won that series handedly. And I've seen Sixers fans blaming JJ Redick like Joel didn't shoot 37% from the field. Exactly. Then you look JJ at 2020. I'm not going to give him too much flack for the bubble because he didn't have Jason. So he didn't best. have. He still got um, swept. He didn't, yeah. yeah, he got swept, but he didn't have Ben Simmons. I think they would have still lost the series. Yes. But I understand. I understand. I, I'm not going to give him too much problems when he played well. 2021 is the only like run where I think he literally played the best he could and he just got sold. Yeah. I do but, think then, James, uh, there's a lot of pressure on James Harden. Uh, I think the Sixers to compete with the Celtics and the Bucks and to win a championship this year, they need Harden to be closer to not, his MVP level. Not, not exactly Houston Harden, but I th- they need more than what they've gotten throughout the regular season. They still need the assist and, and facilitator, but they need Harden to take another step forward because I'm telling you, when it gets tight in games, Boston and Milwaukee, those guys are going to be able to stifle Joel Embiid. All right, they're going to be able to double him much easier, and he's going to have to kick it out. That's where you're going to need Harden. You're going to need Tobias depend- Harris too, and Tyrese Maxey to step up in these uh, in these playoffs late. So it's Philly. Philly making a championship run is going to be one. I expect Joel to probably offensively. If there's no injuries, Joel probably is going to be okay. The whole thing is James Hart, James Harden hitting spot up threes, and being able to hit any twos, and Tyrese Maxey's being able to attack closeouts, attacking closeouts and making decisions because they're going to run. They're going to try to run him off the three. And it's all just Tobias Harris, Tobias Harris, um, Tyrese Maxey, De'Ant, all those guys. Decision making coming off, um, coming off when um guys run them off the three in a Boston series is going to be the biggest factor because you're gonna have to make some tight decisions in those plays because Boston's not gonna give you any rest if you make one bad decision. That's a turnover going the other way. Harden, Harden's got to be a little more aggressive, get some fouls like he used to, and and stuff. And then and then Doc, go ahead, John. I think this is the year. Where we admit James Harden's a playoff fraudulent. Is it? What do you mean? This is we 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 always. I, I, he's always I a fraud. That, I, I I fumbled. Do I have to pull out the list? I think this I can is, pull out the list. I think this is the season where we acknowledge. <laughs> if he loses bad, fraud. Where? If he loses bad, I think he falls down further on that shoot. Because I have him as fourth right now. I may put him at five or six behind Jerry West and Allen Iverson if he chokes again. Since 2011, James Harden has yet to shoot above 41% in a game seven. I mean, for his career, he shoots 37%. When he's not getting foul calls, he's not the same. Inefficient! But here's the other thing. I don't like to harp on the turnovers because his teams are always turnover free. It's just a matter of him... In this stage of his career, not being able to make a two-pointer. He can't get to the rim. He's incorporated the mid-range stuff, but in a Milwaukee or Boston series, that's not going to fly. And when he gets to those soft areas where it's reliant on tougher shot making, and he tries to draw the foul and he hasn't get it, I think he really does become a fraud. And I'm not saying that to hate on the guy. I do think he's an all-time. I hate. I think he should have won a championship in 2018. But it comes down to... Him not being able to perform in the biggest moments. I mean, he almost lost to Oklahoma City. He had the block and Lou Dort, yeah, but he shot 26% in that game. He went 4-15. In the last game versus Milwaukee, he played through the hamstring injury. I get that. But how about against the Clippers in 2015, 35% from the field? I just don't think James Harden is going to win a championship. John, that Dort, That's kind of my that epiphany, Dort. and I hope he does. I hope he proves me wrong, but I get the feeling James Harden is going to be this decade's Carmelo Malone without the pedophilia, of course. <laughs> Uh, that that I, block, you, I, I, I would, I would say Steve Nash, not Carmelo. 
but here's the thing. Carl Malone had some of the most dominant MVP seasons, some of the most dominant mm -hmm. seasons that resulted yeah. in multiple MVPs. And the same goes for James Harden. He's only got one MVP, but he's had more than one MVP caliber year. I understand. I guess if Golden State didn't exist, he'd also have the same finals runs as Carl Malone. Um, he probably would have a championship, honestly. But um, uh, No doubt. He would have won in 2018, I believe. I'm mm. not going to lie. If it was between Braun and a Houston team, I would have taken Braun. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I would, I would, no for 2018 Braun, I would put more stock in Harden choking in that matchup versus Braun not being enough. I'm yeah. not going to lie. If it I wasn't going, I'm not, those, those four years, if it wasn't Golden State, I'm putting a Braun, I'm putting a ring on Braun's finger if it wasn't Golden State. Oh. Right, yeah, fair. Um, I just wanted to say that block, John, you reminded me of that door block. That, I remember Viv that pissed me off so much when he was so hyped that he blocked. Dort. I was like, you really? Damn, you went to game so seven. You're going to be like, come on, man. Really? That series was bad. Well, let's, I, let's, I know let's Westbrook was dead, please. Uh, Celtics <laughs> at Hawks. Atlanta showed Dort. us versus Miami. Look, this Atlanta team is healthy. John Collins, Bogey, Clint Capella had one of his best games, and the Hawks just had their best offensive rebounding game of the year. 42%. Look, I do think Atlanta, when Trey Young is playing unselfish and actually working off the ball, is a legitimate playoff team that can win a series. That's fine and all, John. But we know DeJounte Murray is an empty calories guy. I've always <laughs> felt like he is a little bit overrated, and we saw that in the playing game. I'm not big on DeJounte, and I'm also not big on the Hawks' chances to make this much of a competitive series versus the Celtics. So just like their brethren in the Brooklyn Nets, I have the Hawks taking the Celtics series to five games. They're going to get one game like they did last year, but I have a really tough time seeing Clint Capella playing as well as he did in that Miami playing game versus Boston with how much shooting, ball handling, and just cumulative playmaking between all of their players playing in selfish basketball. And that's why the Celtics will win this convincingly. It's worst. It's the worst possible matchup for Atlanta. It really is. Um, you have two. You have two. You have a guard and a forward that handles the ball that can. That's gonna force switches on on Trey, all freaking game. You have Marcus Smart that can probably bully Trey down there in the post. Oh, Tyler Heroes make him look like jump change. Imagine exactly. Um. Uh. Right now. Right now, getting to the rim for Trey is gonna be damn near impossible because they're gonna switch every single pick and roll, and then you're gonna you're gonna have to make a lot of floaters over Rob Will. You're gonna have to prove that you're gonna Dejounte Murray. Dejounte Murray is just not gonna be offensive offense enough, especially scoring one on one. He scoring one on one in any of those Celtics is just not gonna work. And overall, DeAndre Hunter is just DeAndre Hunter is gonna be the guy that the Celtics can't cover anybody. So the you they're gonna cut off the one and two, and DeAndre Hunter is gonna have to be the guy that produces a little bit more. And I don't think he's at that level where he can produce to the point where this isn't a four or five game series. They really don't have a chance. You put pick if you play a drop against Boston with the way Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum shoots the mid range, Clint Capella is gonna be food. If you if you hedge that, Jason Atlanta doesn't have the defense. And uh, the defense good enough to rotate fast enough to make Jalen Brown and, J and Jason Tatum's playmaking problems an actual issue. Yeah. And by the way, Tatum's a stinky mid-range shooter. I wanted to have that in, but he can make it. Um, for me, so I'm in. I I'm in agreement. I got Boston five. I'll give Atlanta respect of winning one game at home. Uh, better than me. Other than that, I I expect Boston honestly slice through these boys. Talk um, about slicing. Well, Six. Oh. all right. Knicks Cavaliers. See, a lot of Knicks fans getting hyped the, up. I got the Knicks Cavs have a really, six. really good bench. 
and the Cavaliers have a really good starting lineup that had the best net rating this season. I, I think Cleveland State, has... Or oh, they didn't have enough minutes? Pardon? I thought Golden State had the best starting lineup, but did they not have enough no, minutes No, the best net rating. Yeah, Golden State was plus 22. I said they won the best. Oh, so, the Knicks... Man. They do like to do one thing in Tom Thibodeau. That's leave a shooter open. And that's what helped them in 2021 be an elite defense. And the Cavaliers are a team that doesn't have a small forward. And I look at Isaac Okoro, who's kind of their starter, but not really. I don't know how Isaac Okoro is going to finish this series. I think the Knicks are going to leave him open. He's going to make some threes some games, but there's going to be other games where the Cavaliers get nothing offensively after their backcourt. And I worry about their offense off the bench where the Cavaliers might have the worst bench of any playoff team. Like, you're going with... Oh, man. Danny Osmond and Ricky Rubio, Rudy, both Ricky coming Rubio. off torn ACLs in their mid-30s. Jetty Osmond, Dean Wade, who also missed a lot of time this year, and your backup big is Robin Lopez, who, you know, hasn't gotten much opportunity. I think this Knicks second unit with Josh Hart and Emmanuel Quickly is going to dominate those minutes. And by the end of the series, Donovan Mitchell is going to be a little bit worn out. I know he's been in good shape this year. I think this is going to six games. I also think the Cavaliers are winning, but I really do believe this Knicks bench is going to make this a lot more competitive a six-game series than we typically see. I think game one and game, game one, I think then, here's the thing. Right now with Cleveland, the whole pro, the problem with, the, I think the thing that really is going, that's going to be the difference maker is if they can pick up the pace in the playoffs. They're the, worst, they're the slowest team in the NBA, I think, right? 30th. Yeah, they're the slowest team in the NBA. Um. And right, if the Knicks defense this year isn't as good as it was a couple of years ago, which is obvious because you have um somebody who's a little bit of defensive liability in Jalen Brunson at the point guard spot. But the difference maker is if they can pick up the pace and at least get out in the break a little bit more, this opens up their offense a lot more. The problem with the problem why I think Don Mitchell is probably gonna get tired is because they're gonna have to do so much stuff in the half court. That's a lot of movement. That's a lot of pick and roll. That's a lot of body contact. Versus if you get out in the break, it's a couple quick buckets here and there. So that's going to be the little bit of a difference. If if um if the Knicks are turnover prone and um and the Cleveland Cavaliers can at least I don't know pick up the pace from a ninety five to a 90, 98, 99 range. Oh no, this season this series is over in five. I'm sorry, yeah. the offense is just way too potent. Julius Randle's coming off an injury. And you have somebody that can guard him really well in Evan Mobley or Jared Allen. It doesn't matter which one you put on him. I just, I don't see the bench being too much of a problem in a first-round series because I know Donovan Mitchell is probably going to still play like 40 minutes. He's probably going to be tired at the end of it. And then that series against the Bucks is going to suck. But against this first round, I don't think his, I don't think his fatigue is going to be a problem against the Knicks. It's going to be a problem in the later rounds. Yeah, uh, for me, <clears throat> I got the Cavs in seven. I think this is going to be a very hard-fought and tough series, a uh, grinding series. I agree with you guys. Uh, but one thing we got to remember in the playoffs, the they don't go that deep in the bench. I mean, you usually find either your seven or eight best guys and you put them out there. Uh, there's no really nine, 10, 11 deep in the playoffs. So, and, and I just say, you know, this in spite is the best player on the court, and I think he's going to have something to say and something to prove for New York not plunging for him. So I think he's going to have a, a, a great series. I think Darius Garland is going to be uh, somebody who's going to have to show up to help take a little, alleviate some of the pressure on Donovan Mitchell. I think Evan Mobley is going to probably shut 
Julius Randle down. And uh, I got the Cavs in seven. So it, it'll be tough, though. It's, I'm not trying to disrespect Justin's Knicks or the New York Knicks. I, I, I'm giving them respect by saying in seven. But I gave him respect in 2021. Then Julius Randle shot 29% versus That's what Hawks. I'm saying. Like, our, we, we also have to worry. I mean, this I'm saying seven. If the Knicks have not fixed their problem, and I mean specifically like Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett and these guys about, you know, we all know the uh, weaknesses that can be exploited on them. If they have not fixed these problems, this could be over in five. Sorry, Justin, but I mean, I, I also think the Cavaliers are the two best players in the series, and Darius and Donovan, because Julius Randle yeah. showing that Hawks series was hideous. And until he proves he kind of gets a set defense, forcing him right, really yeah. great, especially against high-level defenders like Evan Mobley, yep. it's tough to just pencil him in as a true star in this setting because he has pretty big vulnerabilities. And um, the Cavaliers have a pretty good front court on defense. Yeah, so yeah I agree with you. Now, talking about a pretty good defensive team, the Bucks are going to play TBD. I think... Either one, either one, they're going to get them. I, I think... I think the Bulls are going to beat the Miami Heat in this playing game. and I hope so. I hope so. It's just me being like, okay, this Heat team has regressed so much from a shooting standpoint. And I, we're one and Butler, we're one and three. No, I don't even think we've beaten the Bulls this year, actually. Yeah, I mean, that I usually take the inverse of the regular season stuff, whatever happens. So maybe that makes the Heat more likely to win. I just think Zach Levine is playing so well right now. Well, Jimmy Butler, we'll, we'll have a, a question on him. I don't know if he has the team around him to actually just carry the heat the way he could the last couple of years. And that's why I, I just get this gut feeling we're going to see 2.0 with the Bucks versus the Bulls. And that series to me would probably also be a five-gamer. Yeah, so, I mean, listen, in that Hawks-Heat game, I know we didn't shoot particularly well, but I don't think offense was the main issue in that game. In that game. No, was not. Defense, Rebounding. Defense, we could not well, – yes, rebound, but def, we could not stop them. And then no. second chance points, obviously. We, it, it Honestly, it seemed like to me late in the third – it just seemed like every freaking board was the going thing straight is, like, lane. We could every stop board. them. First possession, we were always stopping them. The fact that they got 20 offensive rebounds. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But it seemed like – I don't know if you guys – it seemed like every board was starting to go to Atlanta. Like yeah. it, the, the, We were coming know, back. We were down by three. They got two offensive boards. Now the lead is back up to 10. Like, yeah, like without, no without Kyle Lowry, that would have been a 30, 40-point blowout. If the Hawks didn't shoot 24% from three, they would have scored 150 oh, yeah. points. Um, it shows I mean, listen, the Heat have no depth on the Every front. time Trey Young took those deep threes, I was like, yes, please take, keep taking those. Please keep taking those. Um, But, yeah, in terms of the Bucks, can, can the Bulls beat us 100 easily? I mean, if they come out with a lot more effort than we do, they, they'll, they'll beat us. Uh, but... There is something to say. Listen, if if but my, I can that game is such a pick. I, I honestly don't care. I'm with. All I'm gonna say is really if we lose that anymore. game, the video I'm going to make is going to is going to break my mic. Is going to break my mic. Yeah, the Miami Heat. So for me, I'll just say if if it's Miami, I'll say Bucks and five. If it's the Bulls, I'm gonna. I think the Bucks will be able to sweep them. To be honest with you. So more relevant series. The Nuggets will be playing one of the Thunder or the Timberwolves. I think the Thunder won this game. And I think that series will also be... I think that'd be a five-game series because Shea is probably going to... I'll give him one. At a high I'll level. And Josh Giddy last night was... Phenomenal. So beautiful. For the elimination game, you're the 10th seed. You've got your back, or maybe you're in the 9th, whatever it was. 
you've got your season on the line. He puts up a 31-point triple-double. I, I think he got it. And just, he makes the game look so simple. Josh Giddy has no bag, and he doesn't really need it because his drives are so straightforward. He's six foot eight, and he's one of the greatest passers I've seen. Not just That the, floater is money. The floater's pretty good. It's not just the fact that he's got creativity and it's flashy, but his passing vision is one of a kind. So I think that series versus the Thunder would be a really competitive five-gamer. I don't think any of these playoff matchups are a wash, and Oklahoma City does defend very well. It's oh. just they have literally nobody to defend Jokic in the post. Absolutely. And given he is, you know, kind of taking the last month off, he's got a lot of rest, I just, I think that's probably going to be a sweep, to be honest with you. Yeah, the one team that could, uh, realistically, is the, the Minnesota Timberwolves with Rudy Gobert there, so... The thing is, Minnesota... wait, doesn't doesn't Jokic like routinely cook Rudy though? I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not. I, I don't know that off the top of my head. I'm just saying the only guy that you would think could. I just remember Rudy one time Jokic was like telling a story where Rudy Gobert was like talking trash. He's like, "Brother, I have 40. Like, <laughs> I got my guy's like, "Brother, forty six." I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Um, but I'll say if Minnesota wins the game, I think uh they can push it to six. To be honest with you, I think they match up, uh, somewhat well against Denver. Uh, the other guys, I think Denver will be able to take them in five. I think they match up well if they had Jaden McDaniels. They don't anymore. He broke that's, his hand. So that's a, that's a good. That's a great point. That's a great point. Because if you had Jaden McDaniels, you could you you always gonna have you can have a roamer on offense on MPJ because MPJ is not gonna be always on the ball. You can have somebody that can chase him around screens and make it tough. So you'd put Jaden McDaniels ideally on Jamal Murray and Anthony Edwards on Michael Porter Jr. But with Jaden, without Jaden McDaniels, now you don't have that. You either gonna have to sacrifice Ant on Jamal Murray, and you're just gonna have to hope that who is their starting, who is their starting three now? Torian Prince. He's gonna have to. He's gonna have to hope Torian Prince is always engaged enough to always be able to work, communicate off those always DHO screens for Michael Porter Jr. The backdoor cuts, all of that, and I just. Without Jaden McDaniels there, with the without that impact, if it's the Timberwolves, I see that probably being over in five. Because, again, Rudy defensively has dropped off so much, and he's never really been able to contain Jokic. So that's a that's a foregone conclusion to me. I think the 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 one, the person that would make that series competitive is Cat. But, again, do you trust Cat to actually play well? Let's be real here. Yeah. One series I think is going to be a great one. Well, this Lakers Grizzlies is going to be so movie. It's going to be a movie until you realize last year Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, and D'Angelo Russell were all exposed by the Grizzlies. And hey, maybe those players just aren't that good in the playoffs yeah. for as good as they are in the regular season. I'm a big deal regular season guy, right? But for this Lakers team, do they have the better duo in LeBron AD? Oh, yeah, for sure. I would say Anthony Davis is a clear level above Jaron Jackson. I mean, defensively, he was switching on to guards in the last playing game. He's a wrecking ball. But the Grizzlies do have a more proven coach in Taylor Jenkins and a more proven supporting cast of guys like Tyus Jones, Desmond Bean. Dylan Brooks is going to be guarding LeBron. He's probably one of the three best wing defenders and one of the best matchups for James because he is nonstop. And then you look down the roster, no Steven Adams. That is going to hurt. No Brandon Clark. Nope. But you do have Luke Kennard, who's going to allow you to have a shooter on the floor at all times. You pair that up with Xavier Tillman, who's a pretty good backup big, like one of the best backup centers in the league. And I think this Memphis team just has too much continuity and too much flow. 
John Morant is going to make Anthony Davis work in this series. Last year, he was averaging 40-some-odd points versus the Warriors, 38. And I just don't think we give John Morant enough appreciation in the playoffs. I had the Grizzlies going to seven games versus the Lakers. Right? Here's the thing, John. Here's the but thing. I had the Grizzlies winning in seven games. Here's the thing. Normally, this is normally I love Bron. Again, Bron, Bron and D-Witt are the reason why I fell in love with basketball. So uh, certain times I'm always going to take what I've seen from him all the damn time. And maybe he's just not sticking in the fact that he's 38. But it's just the fact that uh, two years, it's just been two years since we last saw him in the postseason and we see him turn it up all the damn time. We've seen him turn it up as the season's gone on. And then it's just injuries and then him working his way back. That's probably hampered his game. The whole problem with what it is right now is that Stephen Adams has been out since January 23rd. Since Jaron Jackson's been back, and before January 23rd, he was averaging 3.1 fouls per game, the lowest mark of his entire career. Since Stephen Adams has been out, he's been averaging four fouls per game. Now you put that in a Lakers series against a team that's people is trying to make the free throw margin some big some big issue. Like the past couple years, Houston didn't have like a 10 free throw margin on the entire league all the damn time. But when you put that in a series with guys like AD and Braun, not even Braun, Braun has a horrible whistle. When you put that in a series with guys like Austin Reeves, guys like AD that draws fouls as much as they have, he's going to be constantly in foul trouble. If he's able to stay out of foul trouble, that gives Memphis a lot bigger of an advantage. But also, now you don't have your best rebounder against a team in the Lakers with AD looking like he's ready to grab every damn thing. So, the way I look at it right now is the big right now, if Darvin Ham can figure out that A, don't have Jared Vanderbilt just sitting at the, just sitting in the corner, just being a non-factor. Put him in action. Run some Spain pick and roll. Make him the screener for the screener. Run some um action. Put him in the dunker spot. Like make him well, cut back do, door. Do all those, all those. If you can put Jared Vanderbilt in action that makes him an actual offensive, an actual offensive weapon or act, offensive player they have to worry about on the court, this series is gonna be over in five or six. No, uh, Jared. Jared's a good passer. I would get him that's, going. That's the thing. But I'm saying the whole problem. Games. The whole problem is since Darvin Ham uses Jared, uh, uses Jared to so horribly sometimes. Is that now you put Jer- you now you put Jared on him? Jaron is now a roamer, and he's that's just, a problem. Wide open. Yeah. That's a problem. But yeah. now, if you if you find a but if you find a way to not make him a roamer, or if you if Rui comes in at least give you some some defensive some mm-hmm. defensive upside, that wrecks a lot of Memphis, that wrecks a lot of what Memphis can do. Because at that point, because at that point, you have Jared Vanderbilt on probably Jaw. You um you um you need a good point of attack defender on Jaw. You're gonna have um. You're gonna have um who's there too? You're gonna have D'Lo probably. You either Reeves. have D'Lo or Austin Reeves. Reeves probably I think Reeves is gonna guard Jaw probably. I actually think Dennis Schroeder would. I think Dennis Schroeder start. Austin's not starting though. No, he's gonna finish though because D'Lo is gonna get benched. Um, oh. so that's like the playing. Game, I think yeah. Like I said, and then you have then you have um what's his name? Then you have. Um, D'Lo guard. Um, Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks is literally. Oh shit! Dylan Brooks is not an offensive option sometimes because he will literally shoot you out of yeah. games. Oh no, he's an option. And then Just you have Brom. Yeah, then you have AD oh. on Jan Jackson Jr. Yeah, Bron either on your center as the help side or a little bit as the roamer on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. And I think when you have those lineups and the Lakers are just really deep. And right now, Tyus Jones is dealing with some injuries right now too, so you don't even know how how productive I he can, 
Yeah, he is. So right now, when you don't even have your backup big that's that good on the glass, I guess a Lakers team, if it was a fully healthy Grizzlies team, I'd probably take Grizzlies in six. But right now, if the, if Darvin Ham at least becomes a competent coach, because he's with these rotations and how he uses Vanderbilt, I think this series is probably over very quickly. I think you just put Jaron Jackson in too much of a horrible position for what he's already shown you about how bad he is at keeping his hands to his damn self. Um, And, right, you just don't really have a defender for Braun. I don't care... I don't care if you think Dylan Brooks has been that great. He's, he's <laughs> you're not stop you're not stopping Braun from put, probably putting up a good twenty seven on fifty no. on fifty percent shooting in this series if he wanted to. It just really all depends on the production you get from probably D'Lo as a shooter, and what you get from Malik Beasley coming off the bench. Yeah. So for me, listen, you guys have hit on almost all the points. Uh, there's one you guys haven't hit on, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, I got the Lakers um, in six. I could easily see it going seven. The only reason I say six is because you're missing Brandon Clark and Steven Adams. Mm. Uh, and that's major. Uh, again, you guys have hit on a lot of the points. I think AD is going to be attacking Jaron Jackson Jr. LeBron's going to be attacking Jaron Jackson Jr. early and often. Get him in foul trouble. Get him off the court. And once he's off the court. The series is over. I mean, it's a freaking open highway to the rim for AD and LeBron. So, and LeBron is still... I mean, he's always just depends on how quick he gets those first so. two fouls. If Jaron Jackson's foul riddled, the series is over in five. Well, he's, he, I, I mean, he's going to be in foul trouble. I think we all, I think that is the game plan for Darvin. If he isn't, if he, if he doesn't get in foul trouble, we have to look at him as a player on a completely different level if he doesn't get, because that literally, his biggest issue just gets, just got negated. Which is insane. Yeah, I, I but I, I just don't. Th- I think uh, eventually a player shows you who he is, and I think he showed you enough. Is is what he is. So, <clears throat> and and the biggest point for me because you guys have hit on a lot of the points. So I'll just go on this one. This uh, and Dylan Brooks brought it up. This is a legacy series for LeBron. In terms of this, is it going to negatively oh, come impact on, don't, his don't legacy? Feed into that. Is it going to negatively impact his legacy harshly? Like, no, it's not. But. It is going to be a tad bit of a stain because there are a lot of people, me included, who think the Lakers can make a deep run. There are a lot of people who think the Lakers have a good shot of winning the finals this year, okay? Because they are getting healthy at the right time. They're firing on all cylinders. And it is, I mean, in the NFL, John, I gave you this quote. I forget who said it. It might have been Parcells. You want to run into the playoffs. You want to go into the playoffs hot. Lakers are doing that. They had a little – yeah, but for the most part last month, they've been doing very, very well, especially Anthony Davis. They come ugly. And for me, it's just – listen, if that's the case, if you think this team can go that far, there's no excuses for this series. There's none. Honestly, the excuses are on Memphis's side because they're missing Adams and Clark. Mm-hmm. So for you, if you lose this series, what's the excuse? What's the excuse, LeBron? Anthony Davis got hurt. No, if if everything stays healthy, what's the excuse? There is none. So, yes, it is a somewhat of a legacy series for LeBron's case. The last couple seasons, he has not been able to defend his throne. You're able to do it now. No excuses. You got to get the job done. You got the postseason. You got the – the team is built to the way that complements his game with shooters, with another ball handler so he doesn't have to be – he has no excuses to be to have lapses on the defensive end anymore because you're not handling the ball constantly. Um, 
what I love about this team specifically is that none of them is afraid to call him out. On you, you saw last game when he wasn't when he left Torian Prince open. You saw like during his shoulder, like what the fuck are you doing? Get up there! And Brown's like, my bad. And he played well defensively after that for the rest of the game. You have guys on the team that's willing to tell him and keep him accountable. You have. I just don't. I just don't think Memphis has enough anymore without Stephen Adams, Brandon Clark, with how foul riddled um Jan Jack to actually like win this series mm-hmm. i wouldn't be if right now if they take this to six or seven games that's just saying that memphis is a little more legit than we everybody else thought especially if they're fully healthy but this should very much be over in five to six games whoa you're sleeping on my man xavier tillman xavier tillman is one of the best backups in the game though and i do agree if jared gets in foul trouble Xavier and Sanity Aldama are just not going to be enough at the okay, rim. How good is the Xavier, best backup in the NBA when he's guarding Anthony freaking Davis all game? Xavier's played well offensively, and his issue is always finishing. If he's finishing plays, right, and okay. Jaren's not fouling out every game, I do think they have more than enough at the rim to just limit drives and hold the bronze. Hey, John, you're picking say. Memphis, right, in seven? You took oh, Memphis hell yeah, I'm picking Memphis. Okay. I think they have more than enough to... Hold LeBron's like 46%, 47% shooting. Because LeBron this year hasn't been able to make a three. And if he's not making threes at this age, hey, with Dylan hey, hey, Brooks, who's an all-league defender. 35%. Oh, that's oh, average. And if he's not making threes okay. with Dylan Brooks guarding him on the ball, who's going to be constantly fighting, pushing him, annoying him, like Skip Bayless, but imagine if he was six foot seven and really want to win an NBA championship, I think Memphis is going to give LeBron a hard time on the ball. They're going to throw Wait, a lot of bodies. is Dylan Brooks also foul-riddled? Yeah, yes. Oh, yeah. Is it, is but it in the playoffs? For attack, too, right? If in he the gets playoffs, out of attack, does he get suspended? Yeah, he's pretty close. In the playoffs. Oh, oh yeah. This, yeah. Never mind. Bows <laughs> get called less in the playoffs. And they do, like, but if Hanks he. Hanks on Dylan he, Brooks, they give those out like candy to him. Yes, but in the regular season, they weren't calling a whole lot of fouls on him. The question is, okay, how badly does the NBA? Three and a half. How, the question is, how badly does the NBA want the Lakers to win this series? A lot. If, they want, if yeah. they want them to really win, and they really don't want to see John Morant move on, I'm not on, gonna lie. If the I'm Lakers, Adam, are probably gonna win this thing. If I'm if Adam Silver. Lot, I'm rigging the hell out of this to be either Boston, um, Boston Lakers or Milwaukee Lakers. I'm because rigging a lot the like shit we out saw of this. Twenty years ago, if you put Jaron Jackson in foul trouble, I mean, the gates are opened up and it's over. So if the NBA really wants them to win this series, they're gonna win. It's just a matter of how badly do they I want th- them to? If you get on the if X and O's, it depends on how when Jaron Jackson gets those first two fouls. If he gets those within the first, Five let's minutes. say, s- no, if he gets those in the first seven minutes of the game, it's over. Because once he's out of the game, and you get Bron and AD a chance to get it going. Because once they once Bron and AD get it going, they get a feel for either the jump shot or get a feel for the game. At that point. There's no stopping them. It doesn't matter how good of a you defend you are at that point. Superstars, when they get going, there's a reason why they're superstars. There's no defense that's going to stop them one-on-one. So he needs to stay out of foul trouble so he can constantly be a pest to keep them out of rhythm. The moment they get in rhythm is the problem. Right. Okay. So now we're going to shift gears to the Clippers' sons. No Paul George. Probably. That's another one that's really interesting to me that I have a lot of. Chris Paul going up against his former team Mm. in the Los Angeles Clippers. Kevin Durant going up against Kawhi Leonard. We have really not gotten to see that in years. Technically, mm-hmm. could have in the finals in 2019. Like, I hate to say Technically it. could have in the Russell in the Westbrook's been good for the Clippers. Round. I think him versus KD is going to be a really awesome battle, and it doesn't matter. The Suns are going to win this in six games. I want to <laughs> give the Clippers some respect because Tyron Lee, whenever it goes down to well in a series, he always makes some adjustments. But the jig is up. 
it's over. The Clippers can't go small the way they did two years ago. They simply don't have the personnel. Marcus Morris has fallen off. Nick Batum's two years older. And Robert Covington, they haven't really played as that small ball five. I just think the Clippers don't have the depth that we propped up coming into the year. And they're a fundamentally different team than expectations. Now, Kawhi Leonard is fundamentally a top 10 player. And Russell Westbrook's playing very well for them, helping them play some of their best basketball. He's, I mean, he's been really good. Uh, a way better fit than I imagined. And I want to give him some respect. He's shooting way better. He's making his mid-rangers. The three-pointers are going in a little bit more. And that's a pretty big difference. Mm-hmm. I really think the Clippers have something here with Russ long-term. Mm-hmm. But in this series, it doesn't matter. I mean, the Clippers don't have enough to stop KD and Devin Bucker, and especially with Mason Plumlee and pick and roll, he's going to get diced up, and that's why this could end in five games, no Paul George. Well, I I disagree with you on on Russ staying long-term. I don't think so. Um, But for me, listen, I got the Suns in seven. Um, But I'm saying, and I've heard a lot of this uh, lately, I, I think the Clippers are real live dogs in this series. Now you 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 go over their bench and you say they they've been overrated on the bench. I, I still think that they're a deeper team than Phoenix. They got a bunch of wing guys, and you say they're older and stuff, but this is where those old veterans play better in the playoffs. All right, and I I I I, I look at the matchups right. So we got Kawhi and KD right. That's kind of a wash. They match up well. Book and Powell. I know Powell's not on Booker's level, but he's playing very well. And uh, I think he can score for score f- with uh, Devin Booker. Booker is going to score thirty on him. I think you. 30. I think you. I think you. You are. You are making a stretch here. Norman Powell is not going to make that a comp. To make that even close to a competition uh, right like now. Three inches in that matchup. I mean, Norman right. Powell's good score. He's had a good. He's had a six man of the year caliber season, seventeen a game. There's two. That's the thing. He's he should be in the six man of the year discussion, but I, I just don't think he can. Very very. Well. There's on. There's two. There's two, there's there's very clear reasons why I have the Suns in five, and is one, it's the is one you don't have the defensive personnel anymore. Paul George gone to even affect this game close to the level that you want to, and two you're gonna rely on Russell Westbrook a little bit more than you normally do. And the reason why they were so great, they're not even great, but the reason why they were able to keep the fifth seed at the end of the season is because Russ was having a like a career level shooting run for a while. Like, 40% from above the break, 45% in mid-range, 60% at the rim. That's nowhere close to what he normally is. Probably you not. Playoff, yeah, you get in a playoff setting, those numbers are coming right back down to earth. You're going to be relying on Kawhi a lot, a lot more. The only matchup I think they have even a chance of being, like, somewhat competent is if is the Zoo-Aiton, is the Zubak-Aiton matchup right there. And even then... With when I watch the Suns play, Aiton's shots have gotten so easy since Kevin Durant's been here. It's literally impossible. It's and that's against good defensive teams. The Clippers really have no chance. One, one, you can't play KD one on one. I don't care if it's Kawhi. Kawhi's not the same level defensively he was to even give KD the same type of problems. So one, you can't play KD one on one. You put you get a pick and roll. You're gonna basically you're gonna either have to double one of these guys. Or you're gonna you have to double one of these guys. You can't let all of them play one-on-one. And the moment you double one of them, you're allowing either Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, or Devin Booker, either one of the three, to play four-on-three on closeouts. That's a... That's a... Loser's battle. That's already... That's already a problem. Now you have it in... A, 
either um um either on the wing or top of the key, a pick and roll with DeAndre Ayton at that point. If you have Kevin Durant in the corner, you have Devin Booker in the corner. If you have Devin Booker on a wing, Kevin Durant in the opposite corner, there's no rotations you can make that's gonna that's close to good enough. One of one of them is gonna get a really good either Kevin Durant's getting a wide open three, or you close down him, he's a wide open mid-range pull-up because he steps in. Or DeAndre Ayton gets a dunk at the rim. But you can't stop both. So right now, it's just you don't have the defensive personnel to really affect this game. The reason you're even in this position right now is because one of your guys that you're going to rely on heavily was having a career-level shooting run that's going to come back down to earth. It's just it's just too, it's too many problems right now. The Clippers are the 18th-ranked defense in the NBA. Like, their fall-off was with Paul George. Now take him out to start a lineup. You put in Norman Powell or Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon, we haven't seen him in the playoffs in a long time. The last time he did, he was failing James Harden, whichever reason. Brandon, I, I appreciate you just making the point. I mean, I didn't Kawhi. even get through half of it, but I, I get it. No, it's okay. I said Suns in seven, but, you know, it, it's okay. Seven? That's a lot of That's a lot of faith. That's a lot of faith you have in it's not. It's not, the, it's not, it's not faith. I, I was going over it, but it's okay. You guys completely disagree. You guys have a completely different look at this, but, you know, fair. I, I do think the Clippers are much different, though, than what they were two years I, ago. I, I'm, yeah, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with that, but I was just saying, you know, it, it's all right. No, nah, I want to I want I want to hear I want to hear you just. I, was, I tried to, but then you guys just shut it down and well, said, you said no, Norman Powell can score defense, Devin Booker. Yeah, but the moment you said normal, like, okay. you said that's, Norman Powell and Devin Booker is going to be a little bit. Yeah. You made it seem like it was going to be a close matchup at all, but it's really not. <laughs> Devin Booker is going to clear that one. I, 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 I get, see again, you you guys didn't listen to what I said, but it's fine. Let's move on to the last matchup. That was we'll see how matchup. the series plays out. We'll see how it plays out. That was the last I, I, that's not what I said, but actually, fair. we do have one more. It's Kings Warriors. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I kind of forgot about this one a little bit, but this is probably the most exciting matchup. So Mike Brown leaves the Warriors and goes on to save the Kings franchise. He makes them the best offense they've ever had, better than a Warriors offense. A lot of people are counting out the Canes because they haven't made the playoffs in 16 years. And if that is your justification, you have no idea how good this team is. Now, I've said in the past that Tamanis Sabonis, he, he can't protect the rim. And he also can't go right. But this Canes <laughs> offense is so da- dynamic because of how physical he's been, how imposing at the rim. Uh, his post moves, the ceiling guys off, and his DHO game has been remarkable. Defensively, he can switch, and that's one of his strengths on defense. Not, not that he has too many. I actually think on defense, they are better equipped than the Nuggets were last year to defend this team because Sabonis is more mobile. And you have Keegan and Harrison Barnes who are adequate defenders on the wing. And De'Aaron as well will compete. The question is, Andrew Wiggins expected to return on Sunday for game one. Will he be up to speed? Kevon Looney says it looks great, but we have to see in a full you know, seven-game series. Will he be able to play 25 minutes early on? Because that is the Warriors' lifeline defensively. And if he can't, this Kane's offense is going to score a lot of points. Because after Andrew Wiggins relying on Gary Payton, who's not had too much time with the team yet, at least this season, and Dante DiVincenzo, I have the Kings taking the Warriors to seven games. And in game seven, I don't know who's going to win. It just comes down to how good Andrew Wiggins looks. If Wiggins is at the level he was at versus Dallas a year ago when he helped get this team to the finals, the Warriors are winning that. But if Andrew Wiggins is not, and he's maybe losing his touch... The Kings are going to win the series. It really just does come down to how good Andrew Wiggins looks, because Draymond can't do everything on defense. Look, I'm shame. I'm shameless in who I want. 
I'm shameless in who I want to win the chip this season. I, I don't really care who wins. I just need the Suns to not win this shit. Boston to not win it because I hate them. I don't have to care. I don't have to care about New York. Um, the Clippers because honestly, it's fuck the Clippers in my head, <laughs> and the Warriors because I cannot take this team again beating the odds. And it's so crazy that the season that they fall off, they get. It sounds bad to say this against the Kings, but they're obviously the food, the one people everybody wants. They're the team that's not proven, and they're the ones that get them. The team with the most playoff experience is going to be the one to get this in the first round after a season where they suck. I feel like what this is going to be is going to be a seven-game series if the Warriors pull it out. But it's going to be the series where Andrew Wiggins knocks off all that rust, and then that second-round series where we see the Warriors the same way they were last year. And it's going to piss me off to another level. I have this series going seven, and it all depend. it all depends on Andrew Wiggins. It all depends on how much rust he has. If he has, if he's been keeping up, like while he's been away dealing with his family stuff, he's been keeping up with his training. And the only thing is maybe his shooting touch is not there, but the defensive ability is still there. Um, the the same ability, the same awareness to rebound like he did in the finals. A move off ball. If that's still all there and he fits back seamlessly, I got the Warriors in six or seven. Yeah. If there's still some rust there, I got the Kings in six or seven. Hmm. It all just depends on what you get from him. I just, right now, the Warriors starting lineup has not been the problem this year. They are plus 22. They just haven't had a lot of minutes together. But they are plus 22 with those five on the court. That's the, the problem is, when you get to the bench, and Jordan Poole, felt, as a starter, he's been great this year. Off that bench, he has not been the same level. His efficiency has dropped off a lot. So you have that's your main score coming up the bench. You have Dante Vincenzo next to him. That's been pretty okay. Been yes, good. you have Gary Payne. Yeah, Gary. Good. Put some respect in Dante's name. He's been great. Dante's been great. Then you're gonna. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the Warriors probably gonna go eight to nine men deep. Yeah. So you, then the other two coming off the bench would be would be Jordan would be Jordan Poole, Dante Vincenzo, Kuminga, and, and Gary. um, huh? Gary Payne. GP. Yeah, Gary Payne. Yeah, and GP two. That's your four coming off the bench. So right now, I think the Kings, the Kings are the team. Their bench unit is a little bit better, but I, right now in my own head, I trust the Warriors' defense being able to keep up with the Kings' offense and the Kings' defense being able to keep up with the Warriors' offense. Especially if the Warriors are on, if the Warriors are at least seventy-five to eighty percent what they should be. Okay. I uh, can't hear you. Muted. Okay. Um, I got Golden State in six. I'm going to first off give a kind of a concession speech for Sacramento. They had a hell of a season. Uh, <laughs> Mike, Mike Brown uh, coached a hell of a season, you know, coach of the year for a lot of people, not me, but, you know, one man's opinion doesn't speak for everybody. Fox is a bona fide star. Sabonis is kind of like a baby Jokic. These guys play hard, but, and uh, John kind of said this at the beginning, if if experience is the main thing for you, you're overlooking the Kings. Buddy, I think you're overlooking experience because experience matters in this situation. Uh, and the Warriors have been here and they've done that. These ain't the same old Kings though as well as Yana. I mean, we're about to find out. <laughs> we're about to find out if this, they ain't the same old Kings. They're better than what they've 
you know, put out in the last 16 years, but we're about to find out if they can even get through, a, 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 you know, round one of the playoffs. You, you guys are right. The Warriors picked their shot. They wanted this. I think they've been pretty open about it, that this is the series we want because of the inexperience, because we believe we can take advantage of it. Sacramento is <clears throat> deeper, but honestly, get, I don't know about that. When you get it's 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 slightly when you get Wiggins back, and like I said before, defensively, I think he's going to be there. Cardio wise, I think he's going to be there. I think the last thing to come is going to be his shooting, and he's just going to have to get in rhythm. And I think this is the perfect series for him to knock off that rust. Clay is playing incredible. Shout out my boy Clay, uh, Steph. I mean, he's still Chef Curry with the pot boy. Uh, Draymond is Ray <laughs> and uh, Kavon Looney is liable to go give you freaking, you know, 15 or 20 boards on, on uh, a one, one game throughout a series because he just plays hard and he hustles. I think they're going to turn the switch on man. I really do. Now I think I did hear this from somebody that the worst thing for the league is for the Warriors to win this series. Because it validates everybody's point that the regular season means F all. If the Warriors are able to cruise through, and the Lakers too by that, but they had a little more injuries. They're able to just cruise through. And then in the playoffs, just be able to turn it on and beat a team that was dominating, like the Kings or the Grizzlies. It kind of speaks volumes, guys. That the regular season at the end of the day is such a different animal than the playoffs, and it really means I don't, more minimal than you actually think it does. So I don't know the NBA, that, if they want, I don't know how you don't think that when because it's you have you, Andrew Wiggins only right there. Steph Curry played fifty six games this season. Andrew Wiggins only played thirty seven this year. Yeah, I don't yeah, really see even that even that. even with that point. Nine and third, was it nine and third? They eleven and thirty. They finished on the road. They're bad on the road. Yeah. Oh, they're horrible on the road. So I mean, have they? Have they? Been, have the Warriors been cruising through this regular season? Because here's the, here's the thing: that nine game losing streak they had at the end of the season on the road. Seven of those Andrew Wiggins did not play. No, I think seven of those Andrew Wiggins did not play. And then their last two wins was, and their wins came against, uh, Luka Doncic, Akari, no, Akari Irving, Les Dallas, the Houston Rockets. Without Shingun, um, I think crappy teams, Portland Trail yeah. the the G League Portland Trail Blazers, uh-huh. I, and I, I can't think... remember, and somebody else. So yeah, I think their road struggles are definitely one thousand percent their. Pro- I think the first. I think I think they're losing those first two games. I mean, they're listen. Sacramento is is actually better on the road by two games uh, than at home. I I, I just think only, that are is. They, are they the only team like that this season? Because I'm. I'm pretty sure, like the, the road records this season have not been great. The road records, no. Uh, I think the best team on the road is Milwaukee. No, but I mean better on the road than at home. Oh, maybe I don't know. I don't think uh, that New York, New York, New York is New York is better on the road than they are at home. Um, but yeah, no, I just I, I firmly believe that. I do think that it's the worst thing for the NBA if the Lakers or the Warriors go and win a championship this year because. I, I already see the narrative being built. The regular season means nothing. If teams are like this, and I know injuries played a part, I get it. But for the most part, they were able to just cruise right through and then get healthy at the right time. 
I disagree. I think that. West... I think that's. I think that's the. I think that's the thing. Getting healthy at the right time. I think the Lakers, especially, you mixed up your entire team. If they kept the same team, they wouldn't even be in this position right now. The West, think... that's true for. Huh? For the Eastern Conference, every single season, it is Milwaukee, Boston, Philly. Like the East, it's all of these elite contenders are winning yeah. fifty-some odd games. So I think in the Western Conference, well, it more so comes down to teams just being injured and they're just not being different. able to win at a high level despite they're... those injuries. Sorry to interrupt, but they're also different because they're younger players and their stars are younger. We all know uh, older vets and older stars don't try as hard in the regular season while Giannis, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum are going to try a little bit more. Yeah, they have MVPs to win. They have things to prove, so they're going to they're gonna play a little bit harder. LeBron, Steph, KD already has the accolades. It's just, to, it's just to, you know, build the legacy with championships at this point. And also, but, I'm riding that uh, that narrative, too, so I'm picking the Warriors and the, and the Lakers to win. So. Cool. Yeah, so, I just... I just think it's just in the, in that specific talking point. Yes, if the Lakers make it to the finals and they meet the Boston Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks and they win that series, I don't think that's going to be the talking point. I think if the Warriors do it. That's going to be the talking point. I don't think if the Lakers do it. That's the talking point. I think first of all that nobody's going to talk about that because the goat debate is going to be taking over the media for the yeah. entire summer if that's that freaking exactly happens. exactly why I don't want the Lakers to win the championship because I do not want to hear from LeBron fans that he is the GOAT. Oh, you're going to hear from me. I'm going to come on here and say it. You're going to hear from me. Uh, I want to end off the show on this point. Jimmy Butler, 6-19, lay an egg versus the Hawks. Jimmy. Struggled to finish. <laughs> perception, perception or reality? Is Jimmy Butler really a playoff superstar? Last yes. year was. Yes, 2020, they had a superstar. He he seemed like a superstar on that on that finals run. But Jimmy Butler every other year lays an egg in the playoffs. 2021, he got outscored by Brent Forbes. 2019, for the Sixers, he only averaged 19 in that series. The series prior, when he was with the Timberwolves, he was coming off a torn meniscus, and he was okay in that Rocket series. I'm gonna stop you. To, I'm superstar you series in, series out. He's playing at that level. But with Jimmy Butler, while he's more volatile than most stars, and he can go and drop 40 if his mid-ranger is falling, his floor, dropping 6 points and 7 points, getting gassed out, that to me makes me reconsider the thought Jimmy is a playoff superstar. Because to me, it's not a no-brainer. And I honestly think he's really just on the border, but he's no Reggie Miller to me. Okay, I, I'll give you this. I think it's not to the level that a lot of people want to want to say it is. I... I think when the playoffs do start, Jimmy does turn it up, and he is definitely a playoff superstar. The problem here is that every single time where he does lay an egg in the playoffs, there's a reason. You see the reason behind it. When he was on the Timberwolves, he forced he tore his ACL. He, they were the third seed. He tore his meniscus, and he was forced to come back a lot earlier than he was supposed yes. to. And he willed them into the playoffs in those last like four games. So I don't blame him for losing to the Rockets when he he had them at the third seed already, and the moment he leaves, they just fall off a cliff. And he has to come back and just, like, literally do carry job. I can't blame him for that. On the Sixers team, they have too many weapons on that rock. Him averaging 19 per game is what he's supposed to do. Joel Embiid is the guy that was dominating the ball. He was the one taking the shots. He just wasn't making them. Ben Simmons was the guy having the ball in his hands and orchestrating the offense. Jimmy, he played really well. He was the one He was the one playing defensive Kawhi that made it a little bit harder in that series. He was the one getting steals. He was the one disrupting their offense, Toronto's offense. He even made that a seven-game series. He played his role, and he was a superstar in that series because he played his role to that good of a level. 2021 against 2020, in, when, you played the, when you played in the bubble, he showed when he has rest, when the season plays the right way, when he goes in the playoffs healthy, 
He's great. That finals run was insane. 2021, he has two months of rest, goes to the season very injury riddled, and then you go up against a Bucks team that not only got a lot better with Drew Holiday, but you're just completely gassed. And he, it shows because the Lakers were completely gassed and they lost. And we all know LeBron is not a playoff choker, but they're also, it's just whenever he's played bad in the playoffs, there's been a reason. Now, this year, if we beat the Bulls, which I really hope we don't, I really just want the lottery pick and the revamp this team. I don't want to see yeah. this shit again next year. But if we do beat the Bulls and we go up against the Bucks and he does lay an egg, then we have that conversation because there's no excuse this year. The team sucks, but guess what? You still you can you still have had enough rest this season to be able to play the level we expect you to. So if he goes in the playoffs and he doesn't, I think people are gonna say some shit. If he goes in the playoffs and he's giving you the 24 six and six, which is very very good, especially for the team that he's playing with, and he's playing and that's better than he was in the regular season, and that's definitely superstar level numbers. But I think people are going to say some shit because he's not the same 27, 7, and 7 he was averaging last year or some shit, right? And to, to be honest, he was averaging closer to 30 because there's that game he got injured against Boston where he only played the first half. So he was – so I understand – I just – there's reasons why – you can see the reasons why he falls off and when he does fall off. And you, But whenever the conditions are even just close to okay, whenever, whenever, he, has, whenever he hasn't had – a season, what should be a season-ending injury, and then forces his way back. Whenever he's had more than a two-month off-season, whenever he's um, whenever he's the number one option, he's always produced. Yeah, in my opinion, we I think we even that we go back to when he was on the Bulls when they were, were close to beating the Celtics and Rondo got injured. He was if playing Rondo really well get, in that series too. If Rondo didn't get hurt, I think they beat the Celtics. Now. Exactly. So he's playing yeah. really well in that series too. He's always yeah. turned it up in the playoffs. It's just the times when he hasn't. There's an obvious reason why he didn't. Or, well, he couldn't. So, I laughed at the beginning of this because I know where this all stems from. Uh, it stems from a tweet uh, that John's boy, Joel, tweeted saying, you know, Joe, uh, Jimmy Butler is not really a playoff superstar because he only had one exceptional run. And I asked to be curious, you know, which one are you talking about? Are you talking about the bubble? Are you talking about last year? Which one was not exceptional? And he said the bubble. He said the finals run was exceptional, but the overall run was not. Because he didn't need to be. You have Goron averaging 20. Now I'm, now I'm going to say this, right? Because I'll get to that point, right? That, that run, the overall run, is where playoff Jimmy was born. That was the genesis of it, the bubble. Okay, where he was coming in with his hair all over the place, his facial hair all over the place, saying, I'm on a business trip. This isn't pleasure. The guy wasn't even getting haircuts because he was so focused on the game. All right. And I think he even didn't let his family come visit or didn't bring his family. Oh, no, the Heat, the heat at all didn't let anybody come visit. Or They're like, this is a business was, trip. This is a business trip. That run, I understand the run up to it. Listen, when they when we played Indiana, he had two great games, and the other ones we didn't need him to play great. Okay, and that's where my point goes to where Jimmy doesn't always have an effect show up in the box score, okay? He's one of those players that can affect the game in so many different ways without putting up 27, 7, and 7, or whatever the hell it, the case may be. He knows how to take a back seat and play a different role. We forget that we beat Milwaukee 4-1 to with him as the leader. And we literally kind of put the blueprint out on the wall of stopping Giannis. Eh, Toronto a year before us. 
but keep going. That, that's fair. That's that 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 is fair. That is fair. But then we 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 continued it. Oh yeah, so we put that. We put him in a torture chamber. I'm not gonna lie. Um, Toronto had to take seven. Toronto was that was that six game series. Toronto? Yeah, six games. We knocked them oh, boys yeah, out. We did five. five. Oh no no no! Sorry, we didn't. Oh no, but that's Boston. No five. They only got one. Boston was a six game series. That game was without Giannis. Yeah, and um, listen, my whole point was that the, the overall run was was what born playoff Jimmy. Then you go to the season after that, right? And and I want the gassed point. Okay, that's really slick you to bring up gas, John, because we had this argument about Kevin Durant getting gas, and you got on me hard body for that. All right. Jimmy was literally doing everything in that finals. The fact that the man put up, what was it, a 40-point triple-double in the finals? Yep. And then a 30-point triple-double the next game. <laughs> it's like is, Kevin Durant versus the Bucks. Two things that share in common. That's so crazy. That's so crazy. Yeah, that's it's so crazy. That's the... Not going... I, I'm, 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 I'm going to give, give John this. That KD series is probably better than Jimmy's final run. I'll give him yes. that. It was. That's okay. Jimmy had a phenomenal run, but keep going. I don't. I, yeah. I because, is, maybe because he pushed it to seven. But again, uh, uh, that's semantics. We'll get into semantics. Fine, you can have that point. Then we get think, into the next season where we just completely laid a get egg against Milwaukee, where we sh- did not show up. There, nobody. Sh- that was not just on Jimmy. Nobody showed up. We played with no effort, no energy, kind of like we played with uh, two nights ago. All right, it, it kind of reminded me a lot of that. We're we were just overmatched. It wasn't happening that series. Then the year after, we brought in homeboy PJ Tucker, and I think he provided a pretty big spark plug and an energizer to that team where we're not going to back down. I think we're kind of actually missing that guy. Um, somebody like a PJ Tucker. <laughs> I just, we, I, I just well, look at it. I look at that playoff run, and I don't see how you can't say he wasn't. That we put Trey Young in a torture chamber. So wait, John. Here's what I want to ask you. Grinded him into a pulp. Oh, here's what I want to ask you. Why do you say he's not a play? Because I mean, we've had this conversation for the last year, right? He's a playoff superstar. You've said it. I'm not misquoting you on that. You've said that on multiple occasions. Yeah, he is a playoff superstar. Yep. So is it just because he laid an egg in 2021, and then now you saw this playing game where you're like, it's I'm starting to question it. So, like, last year versus the Celtics, Jimmy in game one has 41. Game two, 29. The next two games, eight points, six points. In those games, one of those games, he went out in the second half. Even still. That was game three? Wait, no, wait, wait. One of them, one of them, he went out second half, and the other one, he didn't play, right? Uh, No, game three. Game three, he played 20 minutes. We won by six. He put up eight points. Game four, we got blown out. He played 27 minutes. But see, here's the thing Jimmy is liable to do that. He's liable. He's going to. He'll give you those forty points to thirty-five, and then you see the last two games, forty-seven and thirty-five. He'll have a little, a couple games there where he's not going to show. It is inconsistent. I right? think Jimmy is a superstar when the mid-range shot is falling, and he can get that into his arsenal. But that's not consistently falling. And if you're not consistently doing it throughout an entire series, he's not a score-first guy, though. I think, but I think when you get when you when you get in a must-win game six and then a must-win game seven, when you put out forty-seven and then thirty-five, yeah. it at that point you just got to look at it as like. Whenever he wants, whenever he needs to, because it wasn't even like in that forty-seven point game, the mid-range jumper in the three was falling. But in that thirty-five, he wasn't falling. That was all willing that shit to the rim. Yes, and free throws. Whenever he, the thing with Jimmy that pisses off a lot of, especially me as a Heat fan, is whenever he wants to turn it on, you see him turn it on. That game against Atlanta, yes, we had no energy, but also the amount of bunnies that just 
just bounced out of the rim yeah. for some reason. It's, and that's it's the because other he was trying. He was, he was pressing himself. He was if Jimmy's not getting the fouls, if he's, not, if he's not drawing the fouls, he's prone to tank a lot of layups. That's part of his game too. And I feel like his game, it's reliant on that mid-range shot and getting to the three-throw line. And it's just, I love Jimmy. There's a level of will to his game where he just, he does stuff that he shouldn't be doing. But I really don't think he's consistent enough to... He's the talent level is just isn't there yeah, for other guys that you see that that you, Jimmy shouldn't be able to be on these guys level when the talent level is like this different. Yeah. But it's just how smart he is that makes it the thing with the thing with Jimmy is that a 17 5 and 5 performance for Jimmy has the same effect on a game than a, a, as a 30 point performance from a guy like Tatum. That's the thing is that yeah, Jimmy doesn't need to score to be that guy. No. He doesn't That's need what to. I'm saying the box score. Whenever you look at him, it's a seven. It's like a fifteen five and five, but then you and then maybe like two steals, maybe a block. But you look, he has six deflections. He has six deflections in the game. Um, he um he's guarding your number one guy. It's just he his effect isn't just always on scoring. And I think when you harp on that, it's just when the fact where he's doing everything else plus dropping thirty. You're like, it's not even Mm -hmm. that he's a playoff. He's like. Is this like the best player in the freaking world right now? Because what the hell is he doing? Like, here's the thing: Jimmy is not a number one scoring option. He shouldn't be. He shouldn't be. Why do you think I was begging for a guy like Donovan Mitchell to take a little pressure off Jimmy so he could be that number one and Jimmy could just kind of strive through and be that secondary option there? That's why I was begging for it. So that's why I'm saying with the box score, he he doesn't. The way he affects the game is so different. It's kind of like a PJ Tucker. But, you know, not to that extent where P.J. could go like three boards and and three points and still have an insane effect on the game. Um, But, yeah, I just – I I hear the inconsistency. Trust me. I'm a Miami Heat fan. Romain can probably speak to it. The inconsistency is there. But I think there's a lot of guys with inconsistency. I mean, we talk about Anthony Davis. The motor runs not as hard as it should. He has a lot of uh, mental lapses throughout the game. I mean, do we not forget the – Oh God, who they play in the play in uh, Minnesota on the final shot or whatever it was, where him and LeBron had a mix up and he completely had a brain fart on defense and, and messed it up. I think there's a lot of guys that have good instances. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. There are inconsistent points. Kevin Durant, you, you want him to have, uh, you know, all seven games or all six games be thirty point games and stuff like that. It's not realistic when a guy is not a true scorer. Um like a Tatum or a KD or somebody like that. He's not, and he's not, he, he's not on the level of Kawhi where Kawhi has turned himself into a number one scorer. Jimmy can summons it up, but he shouldn't be your number one guy. Why do you think I've been begging for another guy to come in? Or I've been begging for Tyler hero to take over that role. It's because Jimmy shouldn't be the number one guy. That's another thing right now is that once we lose against the bulls or once we lose against the Bucks, I don't care which one it is. Um, I hope he asks for a trade. I, I don't want I don't want to see this team back again. Which one? Who, Jimmy, Jimmy or Tyler? Jimmy, oh, Jimmy. Jimmy. The thing the is, team. like, Tyler isn't going to get us the pat. If we trade Tyler, we're going to look to contend. And we're not going to get a player back good enough from Tyler to be able to contend. We trade Jimmy, though. We're Tyler's 23, Bam's 25, 26. We're committing to building around these two. And right now, with the way Portland is, you call up Portland, you say, yo, give me Shaden Sharp, Jeremy Grant, and two first-round picks. You got Jimmy Butler. I don't care what you got, Jimmy Butler. Do you think Portland takes that offer? Especially to keep Shaden. You said Shaden. Shaden Sharp and Jeremy Grant, and and two two first-round picks. Not even three, two. 
I think those two first might be a push because of his age, Jimmy's age. But yeah, okay, I don't want to get this three first rounders, but throwing Nikola Jovic. Oh, Nic- oh my God! I thought you said Jokic. No, Yo- <laughs> Jovic. Jovic. Yo- Jokic. Yo- Jovic. 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 But throwing Jovic. Maybe. I don't know. That's I, the I, thing I is that at this point, I this is just my heat rant. I don't want to see this team again next year. It's it, it's too much. We're it's 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 a problem. Yeah. All right. With all that being said, I'll wrap up episode number 93 of the Wise Guys podcast. Thank you so much for watching this team to the very end. You can find Romaine at FLB on YouTube and a couple of other social media platforms like Twitter. And as always, we'll see you next time. Very classy.